Welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts... Carol. Matt. Mel. And we are a bunch of Hoopleheads. Today we are joined by a very special guest. Please welcome to the podcast, the lovely Ina. Yay! Yay! Thank you! Thank you! It's lovely to be here. Ina is one of our best contributors in the Facebook group. She's been posting comments from Jim Beaver after every episode. Yes, I love those. Thank you, Ina. Oh, yeah, I hope I'm not spoiling anyone. (laughs) (laughs) No, they they were nicely edited to eliminate the spoilers. Yeah, yeah, I tried to. Uh, He comments on the veterans' uh, posts. Uh, which are very spoilery indeed, so I have to be careful. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Thank you, Ina. So you're going oh. above and beyond for us. Appreciate it. <laughs> I do my very best. Tell the mm-hmm. folks at home where you're from and what you know about Deadwood. Are you a veteran viewer? Yeah, I watched the series uh, three times, I think. And I'm from Norway. I live in a, a small town a bit south of Oslo in Norway. Excellent. Yeah, so um, I think I watched that for the first time maybe three years ago uh, on TV here. Uh, my husband and I watched it together. We had heard, heard that it was a very good show. And uh, we, we uh, gave it a shot and I got very... Excited, so I bought the DVDs afterwards and rewatched it uh, so maybe a couple of times. When it was shown on TV, did it was it in uh, English with subtitles or did they dub yeah. it? Yeah, no, uh, no, it was in English. <laughs> thank God. Okay. Uh, they don't dub things here except for children's shows. Okay, that's good. Oh. Um, how much of your TV on uh, is like imported, and how much is local? Oh, um, yeah, it's it's hard to say. Maybe sixty percent English spoken and forty Norwegian. Wow, a lot of the Norwegian stuff is uh, reality TV. It's not very many drama shows. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of reality and uh, other documentaries and uh, comic, uh, comedic stuff and. Mm. Talk shows, variety shows, that kind of thing. Uh, we have, uh, yeah, we had a talk show <laughs> some years ago. I don't know what happened to that. But, uh, and in the drama category, it's mostly imported shows, mm. sadly. Mm. Did you have a favorite character of the series so far, keeping in mind that we're only up to the season one finale? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, Jane, Calamity Jane, a she lot. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And I like the dark. Mm. I like um uh, Ellsworth of course and Charlie. And I also enjoy watching Al even if he's gross. <laughs> 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 Violent and uh, he does some despicable things, but uh I I'm fascinated by his character. Mm. Gross but fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all aspire to be like that? <laughs> <laughs> Had you watched westerns before, or what's what's the the deal well, with this American West type stuff in Norway? I had watched some westerns, uh, like uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and so on, like those uh, Clint Eastwood 
things, mm-hmm. but this is so different. Oh yeah, it's a whole other category. Mm-hmm. And I I had some trouble getting into it at first. I had trouble understanding what's going on and so on. Uh, but eventually, I really got into it. Maybe after four episodes or so. Wow, you stuck it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. I was listening to the Firewall and Iceberg podcast with um, Alan Seppenwall and Dan Feinberg. They were talking about the Milch show Luck. That was the horse racing one. And yeah. just yeah. how whole, whole scenes, whole conversations would go by and they would not understand it at all, the critics. <laughs> but then they would go back and watch it. And the second time through, it made sense. Yeah. A lot of the time, I have to go back uh, to watch uh, stuff again on Deadwood. And uh, sometimes I can't even understand it the second or third time. So, um, uh, but it helps to go back and, and maybe, yeah. The dialogue is, is very, yeah, it's very heavy and. Yeah, it's very dense. But try, yeah, you have to try to unlock it somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Subtitles really help. They really do. Yeah. But they also use such, they use idioms that aren't even modern idioms. So yeah. it makes it that much more difficult. I know. <laughs> I can only imagine, you know, with this being, with English being a second or, I don't know, it might be your third or fourth language. Yeah, but, second, uh, yeah. Second. Um, trying to wade through this because the language is, is very, it's interesting because it's both very flowery and it's very yeah. dense and it's very, um, seemingly archaic and it's, there's a lot to deal with. Yeah, I know. Um, that's why I or- originally tried to read some recaps and reviews to sort of uh, understand what was going on in the episodes. So uh, that has helped me. And now the world has this podcast. <laughs> oh, yes, the world is a better place. <laughs> Ina, you deserve lots of points for having gone through that and, and putting in the mental effort to just, you know, understand the what they're, what's going on in that. Yeah, in very I, strange English. <laughs> it's, it's a very, it's, an, it's a very good show. I, I think it's, uh, it varies between this and The Wire as my top favorite show of all time, but and also the Sopranos. I think those are the top three in my book, and it's um, it's a very good show. And I'm so glad you're doing this podcast. Oh, well, we're glad you're here with us. And if you want to be like Ina, and you want to be a guest, I'm going to open up guest spots on Saturday, July 18th, noon Eastern time. Same as before, you'll just send uh, your top three preferred episodes and as they come in via email, hooplecast at gmail.com, I will uh, assign people uh, spots based on their preference and uh, how quickly they sent the email to me. There'll be details on the Facebook page as well. Awesome. I'll release the recording schedule for next season when this episode gets posted. So if you're listening to this, dear listener, the schedule is on the Facebook group, or you can go th- through the website. There'll be a link to the Google Docs. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to take an opportunity to read Harold's feedback from episode 11, Jules' Boot is Made for Walking. 
He sent it, but somehow it got lost in the interwebs. So he said, don't worry about reading it, but if you take the time to write it, we'll take the time to read it. So let's have uh, Carol read that one. Okay. So what's up with the widow Garrett's father? It goes without saying that he wants to wrest control of the Bonanza from his daughter, but I'm not sure of his strategy. As best I can tell, he's trying to frame her and Bullock for Brom's murder, but I could be wrong. It is possible that he's just an asshole. In any event, I don't think any plan that involves riling up Bullock is a wise one. Bullock spilling the beans about Trixie and Saul was a big slip-up that could have been could have turned fatal. Personally, I don't feel much chemistry between Trixie and Saul, and I kind of like her dynamic with Al. Speaking of slip-ups, Eddie giving Joni the high sign right in front of Cy was pretty bad. What kind of card shark does that? Maybe Eddie's losing his nerve. Two grand for murdering a magistrate plus clearing up a warrant seems pretty cheap, even for 1876. I think promises of future hundreds of thousands of dollars are worth the paper that they're written on. Or dried spit. Boy, the doc sure didn't want to look at that Civil War book. So newbies, who doesn't make it out of season one alive? Of course it is possible they all do, but if I was a newbie... I'd have to set the odds as being pretty bad for Leon, the Reverend, the Widow's Dad, Eddie, Trix, and Trixie with Saul, Con Stapleton, and maybe one of Al's men as definite possibilities. The entire cast, basically here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like this show is over. Um, long shots would be Farnham and Merrick. Oh, who would what kill Merrick? I give eight <laughs> shit heels out of ten. <laughs> Well, we can't answer that now. We can't answer it because we've already seen the episode. That's right. But... Yep. But I, I'm curious as to who he thinks would be out to get Merrick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but here's a question. Do you guys feel that Trixie and Saul have chemistry? Mm, yes. Yeah, I thought so. Yes, because I was shipping them. They have smoldering glances. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know and what their, it's based and on. Their, and their uh, sex scene was pretty pretty, pretty hot. hot. Yeah, but it was I, pretty hot. I, I, don't know what, I don't know what their attraction is based on. I guess it's just looks... I don't know. Uh, yeah. She likes the looks of him, and he likes the looks of I her. I like the cutty or jib. <laughs> <laughs> I think she probably likes the way he treats her, too. Yeah, he's a, he's a sweet guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, yeah, he he seems to like her. He doesn't treat her like he can take whatever he wants, or he deserves something, or, you know, that she's a whore. Yeah. Today's Reader's Theater article is read to us by Christiana. Oh, yay. I love Reader's Theater. Yeah. It's a little bit racist. (laughs) I'll just say that up front. But I think it parallels the article by Illyrio about the fast deteriorating savage of the plains that uh, we played for our first article. So this is a nice uh, capper for the season. (laughs) Nice, quote unquote. Negro Peculiarities, Editorial, Not Local September 25th, 1877, Black Hills Daily Times There is probably no race on earth who are blessed with a more happy disposition than are the colored people of the South. It is true that they have been in abject servitude all their lives and have not risen much above that level now. Still, as a rule, they are a kind-hearted, obliging, happy race. 
they will appreciate a kindness way beyond their intellectual ability, especially if it comes from the white race. Their position of servitude in the past has had a tendency to lessen their appreciation of each other, and they think it degrading to nurse even a sick negro or care for him in any way when wounded on the battlefield. When General Forrest rode into Memphis during the late war, his men shot indiscriminately as they rode through the streets, wounding several Negroes. But it was a most difficult undertaking to get a Negro to render any assistance whatsoever to their wounded brothers. Their love for their sweethearts is as strong as can be exhibited by the white race. It may not be as enduring, but during the honeymoon period it is at high tide, and they will go through fire and water for the girl they love best. The Negroes have their superstitions, and nail horseshoes on their drays or upon their door sills, and carry a squirrel's tail in their pocketbook for luck, as they term it. There is a Negro who travels the streets of New Orleans and makes his living by imitating the various steamboat whistles, which he does so perfectly as to make it unmistakable. They certainly have very great musical ability, and they will construct out of a cane break quite a variety of musical instruments, upon which they soon learn to play their melodies. Nothing pleases them better than to gather about the old cabin door and have their musical jubilee, and indulge in the dance of Widdina. At first they did not know how to use their freedom, and simply thought all they would have to do was to fold their hands and Massa Lincoln would do the rest. <laughs> One negro was asked how he enjoyed his freedom, and his reply was that he built a big fire in the fireplace and another in the stove, and he and Dinah sat between the two fires. Another said that he lay in bed in the morning until Susanna had the breakfast all ready, and when he came home at night he and the cook would sit down and eat their supper and take plenty of time and talk about old times just like the white folks do. Many of them are very devout in their religious devotions, and can recite the creed of orthodoxy more perfectly than many of our modern pastors. One old negro named Uncle Ben had been a slave all his life, but on Sundays he thought it his duty to break the bread of life to his brethren. The war separated Uncle Ben from his wife, and he removed to Memphis and embarked in the drayage business, and Aunt Martha was soon wooed and won, making wife number two for Uncle Ben. After the war closed, wife number one sought and found her long-lost lord, and Uncle Ben's judgment as to what was best to do was taxed to the utmost. He applied for advice from some white folks, and he was told that it was a very peculiar case, and that he had better live with the wife he loved best. <laughs> so Uncle Ben, after surveying the ground carefully, decided to take wife number one. Wife number two gently acquiescing. A division of the spoils was agreed upon, and the separation took place in a business or mechanical way, and no divorce lawyer received his fee after decree. 
this important matter was disposed of in the short space of a few hours and uncle ben resumed his daily routine of duties as if nothing unusual had taken place during the cholera epidemic in memphis in eighteen sixty five many of the negroes could not be convinced but what the watermelon had been poisoned as some of them had seen a hole the size of a knitting needle in the stem and the darky that ate them was no more <clears throat> during that memorable year we saw in the cabin four negroes writhing in the agonies of that fearful scourge with no hand of sympathy to alleviate their sufferings the well negroes were either afraid or thought it beneath their dignity to nurse a darky <laughs> wow Wow. Oh jeez. Um uh, I love how they're like, yeah, we we know we know how they think, we know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we know what's going on there. Mm -hmm. God. And it sounds like one of the they described like the uh ancestor of uh what is it, Michael Winslow? Is it the guy from uh Police Academy who does the sound effects? <laughs> <laughs> you mean the dude that wrote the, the steamboat dude. guy? Yeah, the, the steamboat guy. <laughs> Imitating various steamboat whistles. <laughs> all I can all I can picture is a police academy dude. <laughs> Some of these articles, it's very strange how they go on tangents. Like, yes, it was just yeah, a whole like, paragraph about Uncle Ben. Yeah, I'm like, what's what's your point with this? <laughs> what's yeah. the, and the point just, was that there was just... no point. But I think in the headline, they talk about peculiarities. Like, this is going to be a assortment of random musings. Oh, okay. And we, I've heard of the poison watermelon thing before. We watched something, we watched a video about watermelon breeds, and there was like a little history lesson, and people used to poison watermelons. Because... You watched Song of the South. Because, no, because people used to steal watermelons, because they were like this, these like prized possessions. Certain, so certain breeds of watermelons. Certain, certain yeah. breeds of watermelons, so they would poison like uh, random watermelons in the watermelon patch. And then they'd forget which ones are poisoned. And, and sometimes they would eat their themselves. own poisoned watermelon. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, and they would die. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which one did we'll, I poison again? We'll have to post that video if on I the group. Find it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Any further thoughts? So why why do you guys think that they didn't want to uh, nurse the sick mm. yeah, sick people? Like I, I can't see it that they would be it would be beneath their dignity, but I can see that that they might have been scared that it was contagious. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think they had any idea what caused cholera at that point. I mean, anybody, not you know, just no. But what would possess you not to nurse someone back to health? Mm. Being scared that you're going to die, I would imagine. Well, yeah, but so they're then saying you that, are afraid that you're... But they're saying that just... white people will do that and black people won't do that. They're, that's what the article's basically saying. Yeah, well, that isn't really what the article is saying, if you think about it. No? They're saying that blacks wouldn't nurse blacks. They didn't mention anything about whites even thinking about coming to their aid. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, if, if so basically it was an underhanded way to say that it, they're not worth nursing back to health either way? Even the black people know that they're not worth taking care of? Is I, that what you're saying? I don't know. No, they're basically, like, reinforcing that, oh, it's not worth it. No, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am <laughs> saying is that that I don't think the concept of a white person going out and helping any of the black soldiers or black cholera victims would probably even come to this person's mind. Yeah. Um, That, you know, if... 
if somebody black wasn't going to help them, nobody was going to help them because who else is there to help a black person? Mm-hmm. You know, that's... I would almost title that article White Man's Peculiarities instead of... <laughs> 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 yeah. Because yeah. there's, like, those peculiarities from the whites, the white people, too. Mm. Just, like, oh, go through the street, like, shooting random black people and, like, just leaving them to die. Mm-hmm. What yeah, the hell I, mean, I was just reading about Forrest, because he's part of the whole controversy having to do with the the Confederate memorials and stuff, because he was a very, very well-known general that also was involved with the beginnings of the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. And there was a whole thing about a massacre that just, like, this whole thing with just shooting random people as they came into town. Mm-hmm. Apparently he was also involved with a a massacre of 500 or, or I'm not sure how many, Negro soldiers in the Union Army and Tennessee white soldiers who had gone to the Union cause, and he was brought up on war crime charges after the war, but they couldn't make anything stick. So... And he's got he's got apparently memorials all over the South, huh, especially classic. in Tennessee. So there's a whole controversy going on right now. And just this morning, I was reading about him. So I didn't know that he was going to come up in this. There's a, a clue about the, the that last line about being beneath their dignity at the start of the article, where it says their position of servitude in the past has had a tendency to lessen their appreciation of each other. Mm-hmm. I. I love it when white people, you know, like to educate us about other races. <laughs> um. Yep. And that's, that's the thing about these articles that's, that's so enlightening is how sure they all are of all these other races and, um, their view of them and what makes them all tick. And of course, how superior looking at it from a, from a unabashedly superior point of view down on all other races. They're so tone deaf. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank Christiana for reading that. That was a very last minute read. She did she did the turnaround in that on about thirty minutes. And a beautiful job too. She I love the haughty accent. Yes. <laughs> very nice and flat inflection. That was fantastic. She does a radio play called Space Casey. It's a sci-fi comedy where she's the uh, the creator, writer, and lead uh, voice actor on that. So you should look up Space Casey. And recently she was on Podcastle, which is a, a podcast for fantasy short stories. Cool. Go to spacecasey.com. Thank you so much, Christiana. Really appreciate that you read that. Thank you. This is episode 12 of season 1, the season finale, Sold Under Sin, written by Ted Mann, directed by Davis Guggenheim, original air date, June 13th, 2004. 
the fourth and final episode directed by Guggenheim, he won an Oscar for directing the documentary An Inconvenient Truth. Oh, really? And Ted Mann, who wrote this episode, also wrote for the first season of Millennium. He wrote four episodes, including The Judge, which co-starred Deadwood's John Hawks and Marshall Bell, who plays Magistrate Claggett in this episode. Cool. Morning in the camp, Dan brings Al a cup of something. On the commentary, Ian McShane says this is a cup of tea. Because I was wondering if it was tea or coffee, because later on, after Dan hands him the cup, Al says, now go tell Johnny to make coffee, or go brew some coffee. Yeah, and open some peaches. (laughs) And open some peaches. It looked like it was in a tea cup, though, so I I guessed it was tea. I feel like Al drank a lot of tea this episode. (laughs) But I imagine that it relaxes him. So there are different cups for tea and coffee? I don't drink either. (laughs) Yes, there's tea cups and coffee cups. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't tend to drink either one, so. Tea cups have a tendency to be uh, more delicate. Oh, dainty. Yep. Yeah, coffee cups are more robust looking. (laughs) They're They're usually bigger. Yeah, they're usually thicker um, ceramic or something like that. (laughs) Al looks like he's in a very bad mood here. He's just kind of looking out of the camp. What's he thinking? He's having a bad uh, episode day. <laughs> it, it seems like he was really contemplating. I think you know? it's about Trixie a lot, but uh, mm. maybe Rob. he's also waiting for someone to come. He's Definitely. worried about he's worried about the bagman that he sent out. Not if he's yeah. doing his job. Well, he's worried about himself too. Yeah, that's what I yeah. mean. Yeah. Is this the nicest we've seen him dressed in the morning? <laughs> I don't even remember what he looks like this episode. Oh really? He he had on a jacket and and I mean normally in the morning when we see him he's just getting out of bed. He's got his long johns on and he's about to go relieve himself in a pot. <laughs> <laughs> and this time oh. he had on a a ja- a rather nice jacket, pants, shirt underneath. Must had be his a hair combed, was standing out on the Balcony staring off into space. Maybe it's about noon or so. It looked like dawn. Yeah, and on the commentary, Ian McShane says, this is tea at false dawn. Oh, okay. Yeah, because the light and everything said dawn. It's like, whoa, something's going on with Al. So perhaps he got dressed because he thought at any moment the magistrate could show up. I gotta, I gotta look put together. <laughs> and then he's like, all right, I'm dressed. Where is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the doc's cabin, the reverend is speaking to his wife, Amanda. He has put aside $68, and he hopes to be home soon to help with the cider pressing. Then he seizes up, and I bet Mel loved this C's face. <laughs> but what? I Why? The C's face. Why would I like that? <laughs> I'm a big sarcastic. No, I don't think you'd like it. I think you, you've said before that you're rather perturbed by his expressions. It's really disturbing. You're yeah. being sarcastic that she would like it. <laughs> yes, I was. I thought that was <laughs> evident. Okay, I did not get that sarcasm at all. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? Seizes, <laughs> what I like he seizes up, and I know Mel loves people suffering, so I'm sure she likes it. You, know, you know, I have to say, Robin was like, uh, after I was like, oh, I feel bad for the Reverend. Like, I can't remember which episode that was, but Robin sent me a, a Facebook message. He's like, what's going on, Mel? 
you're feeling bad for the reverend? You actually have a heart? I was like, <laughs> oh. Oh. am I that much of a monster? <laughs> oh, love, love. I'm, I'm impressed by uh, the actor here. And, and also in the later scenes. Mm-hmm. How he, he uh, distorts his face. I want to know if he's rambling or if these are like real memories he's having or what. Does he have a wife? Did he have a wife? Oh, I'm, I'm not sure. Was anybody be. else disturbed by that? With the idea that this was a memory from back when and here he is out. Well, it makes sense. On his it own. Sense. and It makes sense because if he's kind of slowly losing it, well, sometimes that's... When you're losing it, sometimes that is the only thing that remains is your past memories, like yeah. from way in the past, right? Yeah. And you kind of are reliving it, like almost like you're in that time again. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I when I saw the doctor's face, I really got the feeling like he was thinking the same thing I was, which was, oh my God, did this man lose? Are we getting a glimpse of the life that this man lost, probably before the war, or you know? something happened to these people that he's talking to. Oh my god, I just, I love, I love Brad Dorf in this scene. Yeah. Like, this whole episode, he's just great. I love him. Mm-hmm. And it, like, this scene specifically, I thought it was, like, really subtle, but it was so good. Just, ah, so good! Ah! <laughs> is, that, is that the doc? Yes, I, oh yeah. 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 I, thought, I thought he, he was, was wonderful. He was yes. wonderful. Yeah. All the way through this whole episode he was just oh, so fantastic good. is this is this so one good. of the only other times besides one flew over the cuckoo's nest where he's played a, a good guy <laughs> maybe <laughs> i don't remember he's usually playing the villains yeah yeah that's a good question um he usually doesn't like as a villain he usually doesn't have to get super emotional but i mean it's just so good. In the scene in one, so damn good. <laughs> you remember the scene in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's yes, Nest, right? When yes. he's like, he freaks out. Yeah, yeah, he was good in that too. He's excellent. Oh, yeah. He never gets to do, I've never seen him do another scene like that until this episode. I don't this... think he gets enough good roles, actually. No. no. After, after this, he should have gotten all kinds of stuff, but I, I haven't seen him in anything. I just may not, have, I may have missed him. Mm. But. I mean, this whole episode was a real tour de force for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, yeah. he was all over the place mm-hmm. and did a fantastic job. Yep. It's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. We could talk a little bit about the actual Reverend Smith because there was a real Reverend Smith. Okay. But mm. he did not have this uh, this condition, this uh, lesion or, t- or tumor. Rather, on Sunday, August 20th, 1876, Smith left a note on his cabin door after his Deadwood service saying, Gone to Crook City to preach, and if God is willing, we'll be back by three o'clock. Friends concerned about the danger of Indians or thieves had warned him against walking alone or unarmed, but he is remembered as replying, The Bible is my protection. It has never failed me yet. Unfortunately, he was murdered as he walked to Crook City, his body found along the road by a local resident. Wow. Yikes. The cause of death generally attributed to the Indians, but some say he could have been killed by thieves, though nothing was stolen, or possibly he was murdered by someone representing saloons, brothels, etc., the vice dens of Deadwood. They thought that the preaching would cut down on their income. (laughs) (laughs) 
I've also read, though it's not in this this article, that he went along with after Hickok was murdered, they had the trial of Jack McCall, and they appointed Isaac Brown. But he and Smith and this other guy, they went together down the road to uh, Crook City and were murdered, all three of them. Oh, jeez. That's the real Reverend Smith. Mm, interesting. Sounds like you don't want to be either of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. True. Yeah. I would rather be murdered on the road than uh, this agonizing oh. decline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. This is just. I feel so. I feel so bad for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just getting worse and worse. I know, and there's like, there's not really needless there's suffering. No- yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing anyone can do. Yeah, that's the heartbreaking part. Yeah. Well, not true. We find out later that Al. Yeah. Is <laughs> you can do? There was something that they could do. Yes. The magistrate with General Crook, who's played by Peter Coyote, another actor who's in everything. Yep. Crook wants respite for his men, but not too much. They may not want to. They may not want to ride back out. <laughs> that's kind of a funny <laughs> give and take that you got to consider. <laughs> Don't let them have too much fun. Yeah. Ah, it makes th- sense, though. Don't let them have too much fun, or else they might end up mooning me on my way out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, excuse me for not knowing much about the General Crook. Is he a famous general from this time? Yes. Yes, he is. Oh, I didn't they know talk that. about the Battle of Slim Buttes. This is yeah. the first victory for the U.S. Army since the Battle of the Little Bighorn, which was known as Custer's Last Stand, a huge defeat for General Custer. Yeah. After his defeat, Generals George Crook and Alfred Terry were ordered to pursue the Indian warriors and their followers. Until September, they were unable to locate any bands of Native Americans. With supplies running low, General Crook headed towards the mining towns of the Black Hills. He hoped to restock his supplies. Quite by accident, Crook's march took him directly into the camps of the Sioux at Slim Buttes. Captain Anson Mills and a group of soldiers who had ridden ahead to get supplies discovered a village of 37 lodges on September's 9th and 10th. The soldiers surrounded the village and attacked. Firing indiscriminately, the soldiers killed men, women, and children. The troops found ammunition and guns. They took what they wanted. They burned the village. After the battle ended and the dead were buried, Crook headed for Deadwood, Dakota Territory, where he would be welcomed along the way with supplies brought out by the citizenry. A courier had been sent to notify the town of Deadwood of Crook's nearby position. When the troops had made their way into Deadwood, they were greeted with a great ovation. Okay. Yeah, so that's pretty much correct, uh, what's yeah. going on here. It pretty, pretty much, much lines up with history. One of those yeah. one of those weird ways in which the show is ac- actually somewhat accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they don't mind very much about it sometimes. Yeah. Yes, other they, do, times they it's, choose yeah. when to detour and when not to. It's it's very strange, the these choices that they decide to make. And yeah. generally, you know, if U.S. troops won, then it was a battle even if they wiped out an entire village of men, women, and children, and if the U.S. troops came out on the losing end, it was a massacre. <laughs> Correct. Right. <laughs> well, For, yeah. yeah. Well, they didn't value their lives very much, so... Who's, you, you mean native lives? Yeah. Yeah. The, at all? Yeah. No. No, not at all. Not just that, but every time you lose, you want to put a spin on it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a marketing ploy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was it's a brutal time. I'm just imagining someone like uh, like this blonde lady in high heels following after all the troops. She's like the, their PR lady. 
<laughs> all right, it's, we're gonna say it's a massacre. All right, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and she's played by Elizabeth Banks. Um. <laughs> okay, I'll, we'll just go with that. <laughs> and then Merrick comes along and takes a picture. Oh, you're right. Yes. Not going to lose any opportunity to take his. <laughs> what's the name of that camera again? Oh, it's a very long name. <laughs> <laughs> Crook wants the use of the bathhouse, and Al instructs Johnny to show them away. Johnny salutes, which I found kind of funny. Yeah, they didn't particularly seem to appreciate that. Al says the camp will want a parade for the men who have had a victory over the dirt worshippers. And General Crook's like, yes, a parade would be fine. <laughs> if he's <laughs> not no into it, you just take it. <laughs> the magistrate hasn't seen Silas Adams to receive Al's message, so Al delivers it in person. Go fuck yourself. Claggett says, if you kill me, the warrant doesn't go away. Al says, get the fuck out. So we go outside the gem where A.W. Merrick has, uh, he's been waiting outside to ambush the general and his men. He wants to photograph them with his American optical back focus single swing with a Meyer Gorlitz trio plan two ten millimeter lens. Excellent. <laughs> Ding. Ding. <laughs> Merrick says smile. They they do not smile. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Was that a smile? I is... I couldn't tell. <laughs> I kinda caught like maybe he might have like lifted the corner of his mouth by a millimeter, but yeah. it might have went down too, I couldn't tell. <laughs> what? Everyone hates Merrick immediately upon meeting him. They somehow yeah. know. I love how he did one of those, you know, smile, nobody smiles, so, okay. But I thought back then you couldn't smile for pictures, because it took a while for the photo to develop. Yeah, if you move your face, you'd be a blurry well, mess. Yeah. Although they were outdoors, so there would have been more, um, more light. And it all has to do with the amount of light, so it would have yeah. taken a shorter shutter speed. Than yeah, but still, it took quite before. a while to take photos anyways, though, didn't it? Yeah, still did. Yep. Still did. Mm. But, yeah, I liked how he switched it to, okay, look resolute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's all his idea. EB is upset that he wasn't informed that the cavalry is in town. He is the mayor, after all. He should be told <laughs> about these things. Al placates E.B. by suggesting he lead the Hosannas. <laughs> Doc, Doc Cochran says, fuck the cavalry and the committee that receives them, which makes Al smile, but only for a minute because then Trixie appears and he's still upset with her. Whoa. So Al tells Dan, the magistrate does not leave the camp alive. Trixie did not have much to do this episode. No. <laughs> that may have been her only line. I was going to say, if she said anything else at all, it was something like, you know, hello or something. I don't think she said anything else. No, I, you may be right. She was only there to uh, to comfort the reverend at the end there. Great shot of her at the end. Oh, mm. I, lo I love her smile. She's so... Yeah. I mean, when you see her in the, in the pilot when she's all beat up and gross looking, and here she's just radiant. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Quite That's a change. Cool. She's like trying to win him over with her... Your womanly wild. <laughs> oh. Trying to stay in a good mood. Like if if I smile and be happy long enough, he'll he'll be enticed back and he's and he's like remaining stern and like, No, I'm mad at you <laughs> <laughs> I get the feeling though that she knows him so well that she knows that it's only a matter of time. Yeah. You'll come back to me. <laughs> yeah. 
He's just gonna have to share. Yeah. She seems pretty. She seems pretty calm about everything all the way through. Yeah, and she didn't have any scenes with Saul. Is that all? They looked at each other across the street once. Oh, we'll find out next season, I guess, if it's over or not. Mm. Yeah. The doc has brought a boot for Jewel. Not lettuce, as he tells Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Doc demands she reports stiffness, numbness, pain, or discomfort, and he's yelling to make sure she goddamn understands. (laughs) I love this scene. Mm. I'll bet there are so many doctors who saw that scene and said, yes, that's what I should be able to do. Yeah. (laughs) Upstairs, the doc requests some girls care for the reverend, who is nearly blind and paralyzed at this point. I thought... At first, he meant like just like send some girls to go have sex with the rest <laughs> as he dies. I'm like that doesn't sound like something the doc would do. I thought the doc was gonna ask Al to get someone to kill the doctor. Hmm. That's what I thought was gonna happen. I guess not. I guess he's against that. Or maybe yeah. he said, "Didn't the doc? I mean, yeah, didn't the doc say that the reverend was against being put out yeah. of his misery?" Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's just considerate for his. Yeah. Like they, like he already asked him and he didn't want that. Yeah. Mm. But we didn't see that scene. I thought we saw some kind of exchange between the doc and the reverend a while ago. And the the reverend was wouldn't let the doctor treat him and stuff anyway. Mm. Much less euthanize him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't recall. Yeah. I, I was a bit confused uh, with this scene. Because I think the doc knows what Al is going to do when the reverend is is uh, over at him his place. Oh, you think? I think so, but I don't uh, think so I don't think so. I'm reading the scene in the transcript right now, and I don't see it in the dialogue where he says or hints about that. But I did feel like watching the scene that there was some subtext where he's telling Al to to mercy kill the reverend. I got that feeling. Maybe it wasn't this scene, though. Maybe it was later. Um, yeah. It it just felt like under the surface there that he was telling Al, like, I'm giving, I'm giving the doc, I'm giving the reverend to you. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like he knows knows what kind of man Al is. I think he knows him so well by now. Mm. Yeah, he, well, it's basically him telling Al, I can't do it, but I know you can. Yeah, I, I took it that way. Yeah. I, I didn't take it that way, but it's perfectly reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Perhaps it was subconscious on the doctor's part. He didn't even realize that he was giving Al, Al the Reverend until maybe afterwards. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and he was very, very relieved uh, afterwards. Well, he thought it had happened naturally. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think he. I think he thought his prayer had worked. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, the old joke about "I sent you a boat, I sent you this." You know, I mean. I sent you elsewhere, Jen. <laughs> I sent you elsewhere, Jen. Yeah. Well, in the town of Deadwood, I guess Al is God. Yeah. Certainly, That's we see true. him at the beginning on high. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, we kind of skipped over, I think, um, that Trixie has now become that other one. Yes. Yeah. I think yeah. she's referred to at least twice as 
that one or that other one. That, that, that one. other one. Yeah. Yeah. One time didn't even make any sense. <laughs> one time he just referred to one woman. Yeah. Who, Go tell said, that yeah. other one. Something. Yeah. That time it kind of made sense, and somebody said Trixie, and he was just like, Ugh. but the next time he said to like Johnny, bring it to to that other one. Other one. Who was the first one? Much less the other one. Yeah. So he was kind of <laughs> stretching on that one. Maybe maybe he's been saying that like all all night, and they all they're just used to it. Maybe yeah. Johnny is the one, and she's that other one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you know you've got to appeal to all tastes. <laughs> so Doc says to Al that he can deduct from his pay the rates for the horrors to care for the Reverend. And when Al bulks at this, Doc screams, "Fuck you, Al!" And Al says, "All right, fine." Love it. Yep. Oh yeah. Also, he made a a boot for Jewel. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then Al's concern was: is is it going to stop that noise that he hates? <laughs> Again, fuck you, Al. <laughs> <laughs> He's about the only person on the show who can talk to Al that way. I know. Yeah. I think so. I like their relationship. So here's um some quotes from Brad Dourif. Yay. I think what brought Cochran to Deadwood is a fundamental distrust of civilization based on his experiences in the Civil War. He saw a lot of death in the war, saw limbs lined up like building a wall, probably witnessed whole tents of patients going into gangrene. Fundamentally, what bothers him is that most of the time, medicine in those days, you lose. At the same time, he has a real curiosity about what the fuck is going on in the human body. He has this idea that the mechanism that we embody is extraordinary. He'd like to know how it works. He doesn't like being around somebody who would, for the sake of some inner need, inflict pain on somebody. He senses that Tolliver can do that. He doesn't like it. This is not the way that Swearingen functions. Swearingen is much more about dollars and cents and money, so Cochran can predict him. Cool. So is this from the commentary? This is from a, a book called Stories of the Black Hills. It's a, oh. a full-color Deadwood companion. That's where I've gotten a lot of my quotations from. It covers all three seasons. It was written after season three. Oh, I have to get a hold of that book. <laughs> it's very spoilery because just about everything references season three. Mm. So I, what I did before we started the podcast is I went through the book and I just wrote down excerpts and kind of categorized them. And now I, before each uh, podcast, I go through it and look, well, that kind of applies to this. This applies to that. And I plug them in and like a couple, just a couple of them. Yeah, it's really nice. But, uh, it's a great book. I recommend it, but only after you've watched the whole series. Yes. Leon is arguing with a Chinese man, saying that he's trying to wash his shirt and feces. Sai <laughs> <laughs> so suggests to Khan Stapleton he intervene. Khan takes the opportunity to rile up some more anti-Chinese sentiment. And we get a quick shot of some hoople heads going, Guh, what? <laughs> <laughs> is that a direct quote? And- Mr. Wu coming out of his shop and seeing what's going on. I was trying to figure out what was, like, why they were making trouble in Chinatown, but then at the end, I guess it's... Well, it's for, for stemming from that last episode. Well, they said something about Sai wants to move in to yeah, Chinatown. Yeah. yeah, we talked about this before. He wants the property? Yeah. Yeah, well, for Tony. Tony. Yep. Think? Yes. And yes, he said that. He wants all of Chinatown for Joni? Well, I don't know. All of well, it, but that's that's the part that's that's the land he wants. Mm. Some of it. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think it has anything to do with Joni. He just, he had that plan in mind before he was buying lots up before he even moved in. I thought they had said that he, like, they specifically mentioned that he had land for her already and that that's what it was. It was in Chinatown. Yeah, but what... But he hadn't acquired it yet, obviously. He's... Yeah, what I was really meaning was that I don't, I think, I think a lot of the stuff of, oh, well, this is for you, Joni, is just smoke. I mean, I don't think he... It's pretext. Yeah, I don't think he really cares about, he cares about keeping Joni on the string. He doesn't really care about, you know, Joni having a life away from him and all of that stuff. He, She's a puppet. No, but I thought that was his way of keeping her on the string to get the land for her. Then he's he'd still have the if he does build a thing for her, then he'd still be like, yeah, but I own this land, I own this brothel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he was going to give her the money for the for the thing to begin with, right? I mean, yeah. So basically, he still owns her. He's still running her life, right? Oh yeah. Just she might be a little bit further away, but she's still close by, you know. But I would say that if Joni weren't there, if Joni didn't exist, he'd be doing the exact same thing and just looking for someone to run the thing for him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, he sees that he wants it, and therefore he will take it. And it happens that Joni is convenient, and it's a you know, it all fits in nicely yeah. to his plans. And Al has been mentioning about he saw this coming for a while now that Psy was going to start trouble in the between the Chinese and the white communities. It was it was at the big plague meeting where Psy says he already has some land in Chinatown. Right. And that's where the, the tents can go up, the pest tents. Right. And I then he says that to Al that he was gonna build a emporium, a, ga- a gaming emporium for the Chinese. But now I'm wondering if that was a lie. He just wants to displace all the Chinese because he just wants all the land in general, and that was a, that was a kind of a smokescreen for Al. Could hmm. be. Yeah, that he just wants all the land, and he'll 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 give some of it to Joni just to keep her on the string, so to speak. Yeah. At the same time, Al, I don't know whether Al saw through what his bigger plans were or not, but he definitely saw the uh, the problems coming between. That he Psy was going to stir up with the, with the Chinese. Yeah, he remarked that, that forward thinking, actually impressed him. Yeah. In the hotel, Otis suggests to Alma that he become her Eastern representative in New York regarding her claim. She says the prospect frightens her. Otis admits he has debts, debt he hadn't admitted to previously. No, debts caused by the interest on the previous debts. No, just. Just new debts, forty-seven thousand worth, which is about one million in today's dollars. She reaches for the laudanum, finds none, and Otis basically shrugs. What you gonna do? There's all sorts of weird touching shots. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of hands-on shoulders. Yep. She agrees to borrow the money against her claim on the consideration or the condition that she gets in writing his consent to abandon all connection to her ventures, and he says, you'll get no such thing. Then she freaks out and grabs Sophia and runs downstairs. 
Yeah, the... She freaks out and runs downstairs when he's playing with Sophia. Yeah, after all the close-up shots of her, him touching her shoulder and stuff. So, so is he like a gross creeper or something? I think there's yeah. molestation implied. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I have in my notes here, I mean, oh, first I didn't even forget. And, you know, the gloves are off, and then, wow, did he molest her as a child? And then, I didn't even notice him touching her, but I no. might have been just writing notes or yeah. something. They showed it a there couple was- times, but... Yeah, and then and then Seth gets so mad. I think she may have told him. That yeah, fact. he was he was playing with Sophia, and she he did the the power trip thing of you know no I'm you're not going to get anything from me and I'm going to get everything I want from you, and that was when she just freaked out and said stay away from her get away from her, mm. and grab Sophia and. That was when I was like, whoa, okay, he molested her when she was a child, or get that. even when she was a child. Oh, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. It makes, it makes sense, but I didn't get, that was not my interpretation either. I thought it was more that he was just ingratiating himself into their lives again, and when he touches them, it's sort of like, you're my property, you belong to me, and she's, yeah. the connection that he's um, establishing, the physical connection an emotional connection with the child upsets her so much that she has to take the child away and that there's no real sexual abuse. He may, that. he may or may not be molesting her. Either way, he's still abusing her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's being a bastard. Yeah. There is a commentary for this episode with Timothy Oliphant and Ian McShane, and they do mention that there are hints of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. in this scene, and um, that's an interpretation. Uh, but I am going to read this quote from Molly Parker. She says, I don't think that Alma was sexually abused by her father. I think she was asked to take on one of the roles of his partner, his wife, from the f- time that she was very young. Not in terms of having to cook and clean, they probably had servants, but in terms of managing his emotional needs. Hmm. Alright. Sure did look like it, though. <laughs> it definitely could be. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is his daughter, and you're gonna, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna touch your daughter. That doesn't mean you're having sex with her, or that. No, you're... it wasn't. That wasn't. It was her reaction to his to his touch. Kid. Then Seth's reaction to whatever she told him, and then Joni talking to her about mm-hmm. what her father had done to her. Oh, uh, okay. And Alma hardly having a reaction other than. Pain, mm-hmm. not being shocked, not being appalled, just taking it in. Yeah. Putting those things together made me go, oh yeah, okay. Mm. Alma is relating to this. It's certainly a gross, possessive relationship. Yep. Our- Downstairs, Charlie tells Joni that he received two dollars from Jane for all the times that Jane swore in front of the girl. <laughs> <laughs> so if Jane owed Sophia a penny for every time she swore, Jane swore in front of Sophia 200 times. Aww. <laughs> I've almost forgotten about that. Uh, <laughs> it was so long time ago. It's fun to get that little callback. Yeah. And of course, every time he was, he didn't use nice words like swearing. He used the words that she just paid to uh, give him. And of course, the kid was right there. So I thought that was a nice little touch of irony. <laughs> But upon seeing Alma run down the stairs with Sophia, Charlie says, I'll give her the money later. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't want to deal with a crying woman. (laughs) Well, it looks like she's busy right now. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alma takes Sophia to the hardware store. Saul has to go do that thing. They so they did switch like last time. Like yeah. next time, it's going to be uh, Seth needing the uh, the store privacy <laughs> for a different reason. For a different reason, yeah. <laughs> this time, Alma pleads with Seth. Whatever impression my father has given you, please trust that I know him best and believe me when I say I need your help. And Seth is getting so pissed off. I it's love amazing. it. Oh my it god, I love it. Amazing. Raging boo. Yes. Steam coming out of his ears. Um, everyone in the camp is sensing that something big is about to go down, so they're all kind of making movements over to the hardware store. <laughs> There's a moment where Otis comes downstairs and he makes a crack at Evie's expense about him rubbing up against his betters, and there's a little smirk that Richardson gives. I did kind of like Otis in that moment, because just like Alma, Otis doesn't like Evie either. <laughs> so. Nobody likes EB. <laughs> no. Actually, that that made me like Otis was just so awful and such a prig, and I just hated him so much by that point already before he even talked to, that the fact that he was talking to EB didn't even help. Mm. <laughs> you felt bad for EB? Did you feel a little bad for EB? I, I don't know if it quite went that far. Maybe. There may have even been a little bit of sympathy for EB. I never Even though I, you know, yeah. No, I don't feel bad. (laughs) It's gross. (laughs) But it definitely did not endear Otis to me. He was, ugh. So slimy. Otis threatens Seth, if you beat me, you'll only convince the people back east that Alma murdered her husband and you were her agent. He tells Seth, I'm not victimizing my daughter. I'm only extracting a small portion from her ample veins. He goes on to say, I won't be coming back, but... I do hate it here. Also, I won't shrink from lying about my daughter and admitting her complicity in her husband's murder. And that is so cold. Mm. He just... Oh, yeah, I'll lie that my daughter killed her husband. That's disgusting. So mm-hmm. what's he expecting Seth to do other than beat him? I... I don't... And he, wants, he wants him to beat him up. No, so that, he No, he did, because he was like... He was like, if you beat me up, like you're complicit in this too. No, you know? he was. That was just more threats. He just he's probably used to to talking his way out of situations, and he's never encountered someone as explosive as Seth. <laughs> Aww, <laughs> very yeah. cocky. He was so, exactly. He was so cocky. He was so Arrogant. sure that he could do whatever he wanted and get away with it. That he had everybody over a barrel, and he was just explaining to Seth. How totally screwed he was that Either everybody way. was because he was smarter than everybody. And Just the way he was smarter than everybody would know forty-seven thousand dollars again. Just the way he was talking, though, I got the impression that he was talking to kind of make Seth not beat him up. But either way, I felt that even if he did beat him, beat him up, he would win either way. Just the way that he like kind of uh, made it sound, like the whole situation. Yeah. He was like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm winning either way. You beat me up, you don't beat me up. Yeah. But if you beat me up, you look bad. Yeah. But oh, yeah. He was definitely, <laughs> yeah. It was a no-win situation. And, yeah. yeah. And Seth understood exactly what he was saying to him and beat him up anyway. <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> yes. Uh, I did too. <laughs> I remember first seeing this scene and being just like 
elated when that guy got beaten up. I was just like, oh, yes. This so guy's satis- such an asshole. It was satisfying when the tooth was like kind of oh, came out. There's more than one tooth. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, he spit out a bunch of teeth. Yeah, quite a few. <laughs> Plus, he, uh, Seth's been simmering with rage for like the past couple episodes, so this release is very cathartic oh, for the character and the audience. Hulk smash. Been simmering with rage all season. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love. Oh man. <laughs> now this you'll find really funny. Um, I was not crazy about the acting. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> we are not on the same page ever. <laughs> oh, you you were convinced by this one? Oh, I love. I thought he was great in this scene. Oh, he was so great. Oh. <laughs> Um, I think he's he's good at being angry and not oh, as, so not good, quite yes. as good in other scenes. I I like his simmering rage better than uh, I mean parts of it when he finally hit him and he was just beating him. It was like okay, great. But there were parts before that and parts after that that I was just like not too crazy about this. So it I thought when you said you loved it, I thought okay, this is funny. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh man though I was like shipping Salma so bad <laughs> oh, so bad Matt yeah yes yeah yeah, yeah. It, this episode just got me shipping them really bad <laughs> <laughs> you got your wish like, from, the start, from the start like as soon as like Alma went to the hardware store I was like oh mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just awesome and yeah you- it's been slow slow burn all season yeah and mm-hmm. finally getting payoff so that's yeah. That's great. Um, Otis has some dialogue here, which is, we've been, we're talking about the language of the show. He says, um, he heard his daughter wish her prospective husband dead and who wouldn't shrink from lying as to what she admitted to him on his arrival. The, the way that he doesn't say I, but him and his daughter, like he's talking about himself in the third person and this right. kind of like hypothetical situation. They do that a lot on this show, this third person hypothetical, allegorical thing. Right. And it can be very confusing because you're like, is he, who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about himself in the third person. It's a little strange, but uh, this is, I just want to point it out because this is another example of that kind of, kind of dialogue. And I love the, the line when he, the the pun that is made the very obvious awkward horrible pun not funny at all where he talks about and you mentioned it a second ago taking you know money from her vein and yeah the the vein of gold in the in the ground and of course he's bleeding her dry in her you know emotion- emotionally yeah taking the blood right out of her physical veins and he goes from this conversation with Alma, oh yes, now I have 47000 in debt. And he, where's he go? Cross the, cross the street to gamble. Yeah. The arrogance of it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so when Seth finally beats him, so I suppose you should take your swing. Yeah, he does. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, there's certain people that you shouldn't just challenge that way. Worst dead ever. <laughs> well, maybe not, but I don't know. He's pretty yeah, well. Yeah, he's dead. just pretty <laughs> There's uh, quite a bit of competition. Yeah. Between <laughs> you. Right. Yeah. Ah, oh, horrible human being. Otis coughs up a couple of teeth, and Seth tells him, "Draw a map for anyone who believes your lies, so that when they come here, I can I'll be waiting for them, and I'll do to them what I did to you." Yeah, 
guess. I thought that was a good line. Mm-hmm. We learn on the commentary that the whore that Alma speaks to is the cinematographer's daughter. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I noticed Alma saying to her in a very low voice, you can go see to my father now or something. Mm. Yeah. By the way, her just entering that brothel would have been a huge step for her. And then commanding some random woman she doesn't know. You there. That would my father. Such a <laughs> that she probably is used to. Yeah. But but entering a place like that, uh a woman of her type did not do that. Period. I was just at the National Art Museum uh, in DC and they had I believe it was a Lusla Trek, maybe. And I was reading about it and one of the things they mentioned was how um they were in a rather disreputable place in Paris. And if you looked at it, there were women in veils and such and masks. And they were the respectable women who couldn't be seen in a place like that. They would go in, in costume, basically, to yeah. protect their identity. Hmm. Yeah, we talked a little bit about how women would go in veils to see that first musical, The Black Crook. Oh, that's right. Sorry. No, no, I'm just saying it's it's... A common thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't lying when I said it before because Carol just backed me up with additional information. <laughs> That's Validated. Right. Yay! It's we in the National about, Art Museum. We didn't, we didn't talk about the way that that whole scene was shot either. I thought that was really interesting. The way they kept cutting back from character to character, and it's almost like everybody was rushing towards, like everybody. Oh, yeah knew that something was going on, but it was just a really interesting way to cut from all those characters, and it was just, it was strangely shot. Like, it was kind of unique. Yeah, it it was almost like it matched the energy that Seth was throwing off as he... Got the excitement going. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. I didn't think of it that way, but Otis would, this is his, you know, he wouldn't have had this excitement, this tension, on his, if it was from his perspective. So this whole scene is from Alma and Seth's POV. Mm. And and also the the town almost. It's like as you said, people could tell something was up and was going on. There was something and, in the air. Yeah. And the way it was shot, it really did communicate all of that. It was beautifully shot. Yeah. And they did it again towards the end too. They kind of repeated that same kind of Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I know you get that sense of the whole town, how it, how it's uh, functioning. Yeah. And also this, uh, this sequence, it, it goes on with lots of things going on at the same time. Uh, with the parade and then, uh, Oh yeah. That's yeah, right. Everything wish- and almost uh, surreal things happening mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the parade was kind of adding to that excitement too. Like, just right. it was just the town was so buzzing, right? Right. And plus, with the when I was making my notes, that shattered kind of of thing is right. Like in my notes, I ended up doing like phrases under each other because of this whole thing of it was like Seth's journey, and that he was like in this fractured journey. It was. uh you know, he confronted Otis and beat on him. And my comment here is that Seth's facade was just shattered. 
mm. at that point, like the facade he's been hanging on to, that he's a civilized <laughs> uh, <laughs> hardware store owner who, you know, has put all his self-righteousness behind him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then he walks over and he sees the Chinese situation and that insanity happening. And then he goes watch the military and hears about what's just been done to the Indians and what's going on with that. And then, then the sheriff and, you know, it's, it's almost like you're watching the progression of Seth, different pieces of Seth just being, you know, torn away and to reveal what's really underneath. Yeah. I think my favorite moment, well, other than Otis being beat on. When Alma shows up at the hardware store and Seth doesn't even have to hear what she's what she's going to say. He's already in the mode to help her. He begins closing the doors to the yeah. to the store. <laughs> he's close for lunch as he as he shuts the door while she's talking. He's moving and making motions because he wants to be ready as soon as she's done talking to do whatever has to be done. Yeah. Because that's how invested he is in their, yeah. their relationship. And Where's my brass knuckles? <laughs> her face and everything. But this scene, this just builds so well. Yes. It escalates in, in tension and in, in pace. Yes. So this is the last episode directed by Davis Guggenheim. So it'll be interesting to see. We'll have to keep an eye out. Do we get more scenes like this mm. in the next two seasons? Beautifully shot and beautifully paced. And... Yeah. uh Building the the tension and then tearing down. It was it was really well done. Yeah. The parade goes by. Seth comes across Con Stapleton, Leon, and Wu. Leon has stabbed the Chinese laundryman. Jenny goes by dragging a sled with the Reverend on it. It's just it's like oh, one it's... thing after another. It's yeah. like there's the parade, there's the Chinese. Big convergence. There goes Reverend on the sled. It's like it's what's going uh, on? crazy. And then that soldier at the. Yeah, assembly. Oh, oh yeah, pulling his hair out. And... The he- the uh, the horse talking about his mare. Yeah, I had to yeah. eat my horse. They deserve to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I was listening to a uh, a podcast, and it was like a a World War One. Like a they had interviewed a lot of uh, World War One veterans. This was from back in the sixties, and they were talking about how, um. Horses were more prized than humans during the war. Basically, like if a horse became lame, everyone was concerned over the horse. But meanwhile, bodies were just piling up like mm. crazy. And, you know, ah, just send more men out there. You know, mm. they're expendable. <laughs> we can replace them. So anyways, yeah, I can only imagine how much worse it would have been in this time. Because, you know, you did like the further back you go, the more people depended on their horse for means of transportation so i can i guess i can kind of see why this guy was like you know i had to eat my horse like Mm -hmm. you know these people are assholes they're monsters (laughs) they're monsters in in fact um this is another little bit that's taken from history because the campaign that general george crook led with the seventh cavalry regiment was called the horse meat march because they were starving, they ran out of food, and this is what they did. They ate their horses. Mm. So, The difference between a soldier on a horse and a soldier on foot 
from what I can understand, it was kind of like the difference between a foot soldier and a soldier in a tank. You know, you just you were just so much more of a threatening if you were on a horse than if you were on foot. You were much more yeah. likely to get killed. So losing his horse would have been pretty major. The general's giving a speech that the Southern Cavalry have reclaimed the flag that was captured by the Sioux at Little Bighorn. And this is when the guy is mumbling and he must have some sort of scalp condition because he's scratching at his scalp. <laughs> well, he's talking about his horse that he had to eat. And... Did he look like he had a scar? Yeah, he did. He looked a little disfigured. It looked like he had a scar by his, his hairline, too. E.B. gives a huzzah! <laughs> yes! <laughs> his head was hitting his own sign. <laughs> He's so ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. You can always count on E.B. for the comedy. <laughs> he couldn't have set that barrel a little forward or a little back. <laughs> Had to set it right under the sign. Con Stapleton is pleased Seth was around to witness these savage celestials, and Seth tells him, next time, take off the badge. Con isn't sure what Seth means, so Seth yanks the badge off and throws it in the mud. Oh, yes. Oh, I love it. I love this. I guess we have all a... of his rage is out. Oh, I <laughs> yeah. love this. Yeah. By this point, he was, bad. he was back to me liking him again. Mm. I liked him at various points throughout this. There were just some false notes at various points that bothered me. I should mention that during all this stuff with the Chinese, Cy Tolliver is just in the background watching. Yep. Mm-hmm. Leering. There's a lot of watching in this episode. Yeah, he does. He's assessing the situation. Mel, I want to turn on video for a sec. Why? You can move. I want to show them. <laughs> I want to show them your notes. Why? Because Why, no. <laughs> These are my private notes. She's. My private notes! She's written yes in all caps and has taken up about five lines. I wrote, I wrote a lot of all caps for my notes because I was so excited! It was but, exciting! No! All right, go fine. away! These are my private notes. Trust me, her notes are funny. <laughs> okay. It's, it takes up... That, that single yes takes up about one-fifth of the page. <laughs> and is that yes for the beating? For just for all of it? Or no, the badge? It, or? It, it, well... Later. Is it for the sex scene? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's sort of strange that Tom Nuttall calls out Khan as being a bought-out son of a bitch when it was kind of his idea that Tom... Uh, Tom's idea, or at least Tom was complicit in Khan becoming sheriff. Yeah, what did he think was going to happen? I think he was probably just so disgusted by the whole thing. I mean, yeah. even though he had brought it on... Well, that guy, that guy did not deserve to die, obviously. No. So, I mean, no. that's where that comes in, right? He's like, yeah, that guy didn't deserve to die. You shouldn't have let that happen. E.B. is speaking to Captain Bub, his okay. military counterpart. Okay, Maddie. Okay, okay what? If you, if you get another dog, can you uh-huh. please name it Captain Bub? Okay. <laughs> 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 So, sorry, did we mention that Seth is picking up the badge? Oh, yeah, Seth picked up the badge. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was significant. Yeah, it's got shit oh, all yes. over it. Very significant. <laughs> no, it was great. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it. I was happy that he picked up the badge. I was like, <laughs> I was almost, I was just as excited about the 
uh, possibility of him becoming sheriff as I was about Salma. <laughs> <laughs> and you got both uh, your wishes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, important question here. Should it be Salma or Almuth? Oh, well... <laughs> well, I've been saying Salma, Salma so... <laughs> <laughs> the precedent has been set. <laughs> Locked in. All right. General Crook isn't too interested in quartering his men at the hotel owned by E.B., so Sai makes a grand gesture to offer his place <coughs> brothel. <laughs> Seth goes into the gem and tells Dan, if Otis doesn't die, he's like to take a message back to New York that Alma, Dan, and Al conspired to kill Brom. Otis will be lying about Alma, but he'll be right as rain about Dan and Al. Dan says if he doesn't die, I should kill him, maybe? And Seth <laughs> says, I don't swim in that shit. And Dan cracks. <laughs> Hypocrite. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what did he come in yeah. here to tell them that for, then? Because he's telling him so that he'll go kill her father. Oh, so he is. He does want to be. <laughs> and yeah, he is, but he doesn't <laughs> want to say it out, outright. Yep. He's he's not going to say it directly, and and Dan's absolutely right. He's being a hypocrite. When he's, yeah. Well, he said, I don't swim in that shit. I thought he meant, that's not what I mean at all. I'm not asking you to kill him. That's what I thought he meant. No, that's what he meant. I think. Yeah, he's he's just saying that he he's not going to say it flat out. He's not going to tell him he should kill him. He's just going to give him the facts. He's basically saying, I'm not going to have anything to do with this. That's what he meant by I don't yep. swim in that shit. Did right. Besides maybe telling you these but facts. Telling you to do it, yeah. Telling you well, these facts so that I know that... And if you I make tell up you your mind, but, but my hands are clean. Uh, yep, I'm laying this out for you. And so when Dan says, calls him a hypocrite, I was like, yes, that's yep. so true. It's mm-hmm. fair. Yep. yep. But Dan doesn't seem to enjoy just murdering people all the time. No. Yep. But at the same time, you know, he's pretty honest about it. And... I'm sure he would have no problem. With, well, he indicated he definitely did not have a problem killing her father, killing somebody himself out of trouble. I'm going to drop in a little bit of commentary from uh, Timothy Oliphant and Ian McShane, I, which I thought was uh, amusing enough to decide to play it rather than just tell you what they said. Oh, cool. You just wanted to talk over your soliloquy, didn't that, you? Because well, otherwise, no, I'd no comment one, on it. No <laughs> one could <laughs> un- understand it anyway. <laughs> I'm just going to talk over it because <laughs> right, uh, love I've, the badge. I've this, I said this monologue and I've listened to it back at least twice and I still don't have any fucking clue what I'm saying. <laughs> Neither does Earl, but he reacts well, doesn't he? I know. That's the thing. If he don't die. If he don't die. I got that part, if he don't die, but the rest of it <laughs> is just bullshit. <laughs> just so I understand. If he don't die. See, now he has to translate it back to the audience because David knows nobody can understand what the fuck I'm saying. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks. I love it. So sometimes even the actors are uh, are lost. That's great. I love it. That's great. It was a, um, it was a really funny commentary, too. It was, oh. it was quite funny how whenever Timothy Oliphant would start talking, uh, Ian McShane would interrupt him and be like, there you go again, interrupting me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was it was good times. Oh, that's adorable! Now I want to watch it with the commentary. Now. Yeah, we'll have to wait a little while for that. Yeah, they're probably spoilery. Yeah, um, I didn't hear At anything least. spoilery. Really? Oh. No, oh. Mm. because they recorded it like right when they started to film season two. Oh, okay. So okay. I 
fairly certain there's nothing spoilery in that. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Because the DVDs came out before season two, so. I didn't find that that speech that he made unintelligible or anything. It was pretty clear what he was telling telling the guy, but... Yeah, I've heard a lot worse. Uh, than oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so upstairs, Wu has been in Al's office demanding justice for the laundryman. And Al's like, since when do you care about justice? I thought you were here to make money like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. One of the cavalrymen that comes in says he won't do two-on-one. He'll take turns like white men. We learned on the commentary that this is Timothy Oliphant's assistant. Oh. And after this performance, he enrolled himself in acting school. Huh. How'd that go for <laughs> The gentleman's name is Mike McGrath. I looked at his IMDb page. He's got a few credits. Not very many, though. Hmm. Well, it's night. We're at the hardware store. Seth does not know what kind of man he's become. At the gem, Al has assembled his team. He finds out from Johnny that Sai is moving in on Chinatown. Also, we have the matter of the magistrate and Alma's father. E.B. helpfully reminds us. Dan offers to take care of all of them, and E.B. laughs. Did I say something funny? Just then, Silas rides in. I laughed at the same time as E.B. Does that make me a sleazy person, too? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Ian McShane says on the commentary that this is the last scene they shot for the first season. Hmm. Oh. We also learn that... Al's crack to Silas about it looks like your mother fucked a monkey drew its inspiration from Titus Welliver being allergic to his fake sideburns. <laughs> <laughs> so they made up that line of that he'd get a haircut and then he Titus Welliver wouldn't have to wear his sideburns anymore because he was <laughs> having that reaction to it. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. The general is dining at the Bella Union with Cy Tolliver and Magistrate Claggett, although he refuses the wine. Which makes me think of that um, piece that Chris read for us, where the guy refused the wine at the table of the statesman, but he's like, but if you have a good old rye whiskey, I yeah. won't mind trying a snifter. Yeah. yeah. And he resists, yeah, he resists that, and he resists the, the, all the temptations. He seems like a very virtuous man. Yeah, he's no fun. <laughs> <laughs> but he, I think he inspires Seth here. He's like, oh, I should be more like this guy. <laughs> I'm going to be the sheriff. That's yeah, right. I think That's maybe he was—he uh, saw something that he recognized in, in his old self, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Kindred spirit. Mm-hmm. This man knows justice. He knows the ways of justice. Sai <laughs> <laughs> has been angling to get uh, some of the general's men to stay behind to buttress the sheriff's authority. So what? So he wants his own little army. Yeah. To do with what with? To take over Chinatown. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> to do whatever with, I suppose. Yeah, take over town, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. To initiate a glorious dictatorship. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised. Yep. Pretty much. This is when Seth comes in. He wants the general's protection on behalf of Alma's father, who he beat and who several in the camp want dead. Crook extends his protection and tells Seth, if the sheriff can be bought with bacon grease, perhaps a formal marshal such as yourself, who knows his own limitations and temperament, should consider the position. Mm. Yes. Captain Bub, <laughs> not my dog, <laughs> not my future dog, but the Captain Bub on the show, <laughs> says E.B. is fleecing them for provisions. He'd rather barter with the Sioux. Also, men are removing their uniforms and bartering their weapons for women credit at the tables and prospecting tools. Oh, <laughs> that's what was happening. I was like, why are they, why are they getting rid of their guns? What's going on here? 
So can't they be can't they be put on trial for treason <laughs> if they're doing this? Just, just desertion. Yeah, dereliction of duty. Or that yeah. too. But isn't that worth isn't that disobeying a superior officer? Yep. Well just dropping out of the army, isn't that like uh grounds for execution in those times? Um not not in while well, they're in town and stuff, I don't think. They're they're technically not at war, like the Civil War's over. They're at war with the Indians, but that's a different kind of war. If they were on the battlefield and ran away, I think they that would be considered treasonous. But I think they just get in a heap of trouble in, in town. To be treason, you have to actually take up arms against your country. Right. Uh, active, either violence or, or something. Desertion under fire? Isn't that what... If they'd, if they'd left, like, during a battle or something. Possibly. I just know that, tr- that treason is an active, um, actively working against your government, either violently or, or through other means. Right. Which is why in the season finale of Briscoe County Jr. <laughs> titled High Treason, it was technically treason because, yes, they disobeyed their superior officers, but Briscoe and Bowler were accused of pointing, like, those cannons. Or actually, they did. They, they, they threw fired, dynamite. Yeah, they threw dynamite towards the soldiers. So that was an act of violence towards the government. So that could have been treason. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's a story for another podcast. <laughs> I, once, once you just read that, I do remember reading a long time ago that you know during this period they had a really tough time keeping soldiers um, anywhere whenever they were anywhere near the gold camps because just like everybody else, they would get gold fever and, and desert to go try and try their hand at gold mining. I wouldn't blame them. Mm-hmm. After uh, having to eat horse meat for several weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And ending it with a grand massacre. Yeah. But anyway, Crook says we're out skis. We're going to bivouac outside the camp. Hmm. I like that. Sai tries to bribe the general, and Crook responds, If I was sheriff, I'd have you hanged. <laughs> that was a That's about one. as definite a no as you can get. <laughs> uh, Pretty great. I like seeing Sai at his worst. Like, his plans are evaporating. No, I love this. Khan's not working out as sheriff. He can't get any of the men to stay behind. Now his... Customers at the the Bella Union are going to leave. Things aren't good for Sai right now. No. And I like it, because I yes. hate Sai. Yes. <laughs> agree. Sai either. I agree. First time you've told us your preference for a character. Do you hate anyone besides Sai, or you only hate Sai? Uh, right now, I, I can tell you I only hate Sai. Okay. Oh. Oh. E.B. is gross, but he's endearing and a kind of a, he's like a little troll. Like, I <laughs> like, I, I like him in that respect. I, I don't respect, I mean, I don't respect him, but I like him in a humorous fashion. Yeah. And I like Al. Yeah, Sai. I really like that you keep referring to E.B. as a troll. <laughs> Have I before? Sai has, has no redeeming qualities, it seems. No. No, he's None. just grotesque. Yeah. We didn't talk about the old dude with the beard that was like hanging around in EB's uh That's hotel. his assistant. Or yeah. his book, oh, isn't Richardson. it? That's Richardson. Oh my god, I love that guy. Is he in his <laughs> pajamas? Is he in his pajamas all the time? Or not his pajamas, but his 
His sleeping clothes or his long long underwear? Yeah. Is he like in his long I underwear really behind like, the counter? I don't know, but I really like that they picked him as EB's sidekick. He's like he's completely delightful. Yeah. <laughs> I, he looks like every caricature of an old mining hermit guy. Yeah. <laughs> he really does. Yeah. Yeah. Ina, in one of your uh, Jim Beaver posts, did you have something about Richardson in there? Yeah, I think uh, there was something from Jim Beaver about uh, <laughs> Richardson being cast, or um, he was an extra originally, and um, David Milch liked him so much, he liked his face, so he put, put him in a scene with uh, E.B., and, and it all worked out that way. I think that was the gist of it. I'm glad he did, because, yeah, his face is delightful. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, some of, some other extras also got uh, bigger jobs that way. Oh, that's cool. Well, that the PA got a job as the soldier. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm. I don't think it's too spoilery to say we're going to be seeing more of Richardson. Yay! <laughs> but it's quite delightful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love all the stuff with him. And plus <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Reverend, we've got to have somebody that's uh, a character, you know? Yeah. Replace him. Yeah. Back at the hotel, Joni has brought Otis's teeth to Alma. Oh, that's <laughs> a gross, but <laughs> <laughs> it was it was gross. Then Alma invites her inside, and I and I love the little reaction from Joni, where she's oh, all right. Like, she just wasn't expecting it, because, no. you know, she's a whore, and Alma's a classy lady. But um, these class distinctions are falling apart, especially where Alma is concerned. Mm. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, and, I, and I like that. Well, at this yeah. point, like, you're always, you always ever just see Alma just, like, staring out the window or not doing much. So she's probably realizing at this point, I have to make the move and kind of, like, and plus she was already kind of friends with uh, Trixie as well at, Mm. A little bit. So, I mean, yeah. She's like, yeah, you gotta make friends because that's the only people that are around here anyways, so. Yeah, yeah all, the other, yeah. all the other people in, in the camp are are sort of dirty and gross, so. That's right. <laughs> Do you think she's gonna start dressing like Jane? <laughs> Crack a bullwhip? Oh, <laughs> I don't so. think she's gonna start dressing like Jane. Where, where's Jane? Is she coming back or what? Jane, Jane, she, yeah, because Jane could teach her how to crack a bullwhip. Mm. Yeah. She's got to come back. She's going to be coming back. I, I'm disappointed she hasn't come back yet. But did you look up the actual person's history? Like, may, I, I probably shouldn't because it Who, might be calamity. Sad. Jane. Yeah. I I know her. I know a lot of her history. Mm. Ready. Do you know if she left Deadwood and then came back later? <laughs> I don't. I oh. don't. Well, I'm not going to look it up. I know things that she did after she left Deadwood, but I don't know whether she came back or not. Mm. And I'm not looking anything up. <laughs> no. That would be spoilery. Yeah. But as we've seen, it may not be, because history and the show are not always entwined. Mm-hmm. This is true. But, but they could be. Nope. But they could, obviously, they could set your mind into thinking a certain thing will happen and then... Yeah. You you may you may expect it, and when it happens, you won't be surprised. Or mm. something else may happen. You may maybe you're disappointed. Mm-hmm. So, get better, I suppose, to go in with a relatively blank slate. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I, things I know about her are pretty broad strokes. I know she did certain things after, after this period. So that's it. We get some spontaneous Joni backstory, which I may have spoiled on an earlier podcast. A little bit. Except I also possibly I may have edited it out of the final <laughs> podcast. So, <laughs> oh, in case there were any people following along, but basically. Joni's mom died of cholera. Her dad convinced her to fuck for money and then to turn her sisters out as well, until eventually she was sold to Cy Tolliver. She tells Alma, I would wish a beating on my dad the way that your father got beaten. Which is nice, I suppose. Uh, Well, it's a nice sentiment. (laughs) Yeah. That's a really rough backstory. She was making Alma feel better, not feel guilty about wishing her father harm or having watched her father come to harm without being terribly sorry about it. Mm-hmm. So or to her- be angry at Seth or... Yeah. Yeah, she's saying, you know, my father was horrible too. And... It's okay to feel the way it's you're okay. feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I love this because I'm not sure they these characters have interacted. Not much. And they've seen each other in the dining room. Yeah, but. that's the only time. They were introduced in the dining room because I, I was really surprised when she showed up and Alma knew her name and stuff, and then I remembered they met in the dining room. But Yeah. You know, I really like how nice Joni is to people. Mm-hmm. Like, she she seems like she's got, like, a really kind heart. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. There was also a moment before Alma went into the Bella Union during the whole Otis, Seth, uh, fracas, mm. where Joni takes Sophia from her. Oh, yeah. right. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she seems like she's, yeah, she's just... She I, wants what to the hell them. is she... Yeah, she needs to get the hell out of... She needs to kill Sai. <laughs> 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 she wouldn't have the heart to do it, but I just feel like somebody needs to kill him for her, because she doesn't... We've been talking about how nice she is, and you're saying she should kill somebody. <laughs> I know, I know, but she, she deserves so much better, because she's just, you know, she's a well, sweet person. What was Eddie going to do? He was just going to steal from them. Not, he was just going to steal money. Not give it to him. her. Yeah. But that's because he likes her, right? Yeah. But, I mean, who wouldn't like her? She's a sweet person. There's a knock at the door. It's Seth. Yay! Joni <laughs> offers to take Sophia downstairs. And I didn't notice this until Timothy Oliphant pointed it out on the commentary, but Seth stares at the door. For like a really long yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I noticed on my on my second watch. <laughs> uh, he just stands there, and then Alma says, "Do you want to sit down?" He's so awkward. It's the like no. It's... Then he turns around, and his eyes are cast downward, and he's he says, "I I stand before you, a married man." She Aww. says, "Yes, to your brother's widow." And then they have sex, and it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing that they got all those layers of clothes. <laughs> That's true. Um, I will share my notes with you right now. So I okay. write in all caps. I wrote yes, and then like yes with like five s's. And think about about a, a fifth of the page, but then right next to the yes, I wrote Lady Boner. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Boner. <laughs> and, then, and then I wrote that he, that Seth has too brushy of a mustache, though. <laughs> He's kissing, like, his mustache is all bristly. And it's like, you know, like, I don't know, it's like she's kissing a broom. 
Oh, that would have been weird if they got all hot and heavy, and then she's like, oh, no, I'm not into it. You're, I'm not into your mustache. You're too scratchy. <laughs> It'll be like that kiss between Cordelia and Wesley, where they finally kiss, and it's like, oh. It's horrible. It's not, no. <laughs> it's like kissing my brother. No. Oh, no. But yes, it was great. I was very happy about this. Quote from David Milch, The sex between Alma and Bullock is so hot because of its desperation. It is an outlaw relationship. And these are people who are in one way or another believe in some kind of order. It's the impossibility of the relationship that generates the energy from the sense that you'll get punished for it. Seth's in flight from his marriage. He's in the flight from the idea of law. The illusion that they are able to embrace, however temporarily, is that there is no tomorrow. Yeah. And also that they're in a in a place that is outside of restrictions. Yeah. Like if they went back to Michigan and and New York or wherever it is she's from, there's no way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But they're in a different world. And also this has been brewing for so so long. Yeah. And finally it's uh it's um. Yep. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's <all>. it <laughs> I, don't, I thought it was a very sexy scene. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'd agree with that. <laughs> we all have boners for this scene. <laughs> 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 ding ding, Bojack. Ding ding ding. <laughs> <laughs> At the gym, Silas tells Al that he doesn't have the magistrate's head in his coat. The magistrate had left Yankton by the time Silas had returned. Oh, I love all this talk of shrunken heads at the light speed. <laughs> <laughs> Al goes into the room where the reverend is being kept. He tells Trixie to get out. And now we cut to Doc's cabin for the Doc's soliloquy. He begs God to take that minister. What conceivable use is, is his suffering or the suffering of all those men in the Civil War? Mommy, mommy, have you seen my limbs? Mommy, oh, it's awful. Yeah. But it's a fantastic scene. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And the show's fucking good. Mm -hmm. It is. <laughs> all the stuff that the doc has been bottling up all this time. Is he drunk at this point already? Or is oh, he I, I think he is. Absolutely. I know he's drunk <laughs> after this, but I didn't, yeah. I, I think, I think he has been drinking out, uh, All day. Until the Reverend got taken to Al's. Yeah, maybe. Um, but also he's he's a despair and, and frustration because uh, he couldn't do anything for those soldiers, and he can't do anything for the Reverend. A quote from Milch regarding Doc Cochran and the futility of being a doctor during the war. He hears the screaming all the time, so he feels that he's a failure. For a physician who wanted to believe that he could help people, the relentless failure of medicine in the Civil War was difficult to stomach. That experience made Cochran a cynic. Mm. Yeah. Which would explain why he's so down on uh, Jewel's leg, I guess. Mm. About yeah. the <laughs> possibility of her ever getting any uh, more more mobility or just better. He's relief. just afraid of, I think with Jules' leg, he's just so afraid that he's going to do something wrong and she's going to end up with, like, losing her leg or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he's seen enough 
of those things, especially in the war where he felt like he had done something wrong. He probably didn't. It was just beyond his abilities or his, you know, the equipment he had or the, what little medicine he had. And But he still felt responsible for all exactly, those things. Exactly. And if she, if, if things went wrong with this brace, he would feel totally responsible. Yeah. Even though she begged him, basically. Mm. I hope nothing's going to go wrong with that brace. I think it's going to work out. Yeah, it looked like it. Uh, I mean, it well. It just occurred to me now because it, it seemed like, oh, something happy. One yeah. happy little thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually the way show, shows work. This isn't a Joss Whedon show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. I've reminded myself of that. Al demonstrates to Johnny how to make a proper seal. If he wants to be a road agent and deal out death, he should take notes. And this is as Al is putting his hand or cloth or pillow. I, I don't know what he has in his hand, but he's suffocating the reverend. It looked like a moist cloth. <laughs> yeah, I think it was the cloth they'd yeah. been using to, oh. to uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. cool down. It's, his... Makes it harder to breathe well, this... if it's wet. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. How many people have you suffocated, Matt? <laughs> uh, I need more than two hands to count. So, uh... <laughs> okay. <laughs> So we get our first death of the episode. The Reverend is finally put out of his misery. Aww. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he that Al used it as a learning experience for Johnny. Mm. Yeah, and I and I love that he's he's lying to the Reverend. This you can go now, brother. Yeah, it was nice. Like for you know for killing someone, like you know this, this was very heartfelt. It was. You know, He's got a kind of a heart. He does. A little yeah. bit. No, he, he, he cared. Like, he did it in a, the most gentle way he possibly could, I thought. Yeah. yeah, he hugged him before he did it. Didn't he? Uh, I don't know. Did he hug him? He or kind he of took him in his arms. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah, he did. He was very gentle with him. Yeah, it was nice. You know how he seemed to have been thinking of his brother in connection with the Reverend. Yeah. 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 I just suddenly had this thought when I was watching all that of like, oh God, did he do this with his brother? Oh, maybe. He could have. Maybe. Did he have to end up having to put down his brother? Maybe. I didn't think about that, but... uh... I can see that as the thing that could have happened, yeah. And that's why. Or maybe he, he didn't and regretted not doing that. That too, yeah. But uh, just, yeah, just the whole brother thing makes him very. Yeah. Close to the situation, makes yeah. him feel really bad for the. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps one reason why he wanted Johnny and at least Johnny in the room, Dan was there as well. He didn't want to lose control of his emotions. Like he was so close to the situation that if Johnny's there. I can distance myself a little bit. I have to, because I have to look professional for Johnny. I can't weep or carry on or whatever, which I may be inclined to do if somebody wasn't there. I feel yeah. like I still caught tears on his face. Yeah, though, I thought afterwards. he had tears on oh, yeah. his face. When yeah. the, it when does come. make it a certain amount of a business transaction instead of what it he is. He had tears in his eyes as soon as he came out. and The next scene, he, his face was completely dry. Well, talk to, <laughs> he talked to the magistrate downstairs and he told him to go upstairs or whatever. And he like he had tears in his eyes at that point. And the, yeah. the magistrate didn't even say, like, hey, are you crying? <laughs> you okay, man? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't think Al is somebody that you question like that. No. <laughs> Al, are you crying? <laughs> <laughs> there was there was a gorgeous shot of Trixie sitting in the hall when yeah. when Al came out, mm-hmm. and he passed through and went through, and then they just held on Trixie sitting in the hall just by herself with the light on her. And he was being resolute that he, nope, I'm still mad at you. (laughs) (laughs) It was just, it was just a lovely shot. Did anyone have any feelings or um, hints that the Reverend was going to die this episode? Did you think he'd make it through the season, past the season? From the beginning of the episode, I knew that we're going to kill Mm-hmm. Yeah, just from yeah. the way, how bad he was doing. I still thought it was going to be the doc that shot him with that gun. <laughs> Saints Row lied to you. Yeah, I know. He's going to use that gun in some way. It's going to become iconic. <laughs> Why would they put it in the video game? <laughs> they definitely um, communicated pretty well that the Reverend was going out on this episode. Which is... Good. I think I don't think that character had much purpose yeah. be- beyond this. I mean, yeah. with his condition the way that it was, I don't yeah. know if I could take another, even half a season of him suffering. No, no, he was, he was. It was time. He was leaving at the right time, and it made a a really nice subplot, especially for the doctor and for Al. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They said on the commentary that Ray McKinnon didn't want to do another season because he was going to go off and do a movie, but I feel like there's no way that David Milch would, you know, let an actor dictate his story to him. Yeah. He's going to arc it and plot it the way that he wants to and doesn't really, what you want to do is probably doesn't factor too much into it. Well, though, if he didn't have a contract and he was leaving, he would have had to do something. That's true. I didn't want to stay anyways. <laughs> Magistrate Claggett joins Silas and Silas's uh, butler upstairs. Claggett makes his case. The general trusts me, so if you play ball, I'll convince the general not to bivouac outside the camp, but garrison his troops within the camp, making you, Al, a tidy sum. Al says, do you have the warrant on you? Why, yes, Al, I do. Silas <laughs> cuts the magistrate's throat. <laughs> he's only going to hand it over when Dan takes those guns off him. Goodbye, Magistrate Claggett. Did we expect Magistrate Claggett to die this episode? This was was quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. It was quite foolish to to say that, yes, I in fact have the warrant on me. (laughs) Yeah. Why would he be so dumb? Arrogance. Yeah. He He and Otis had that that in common. Yeah. A lot of big city people think they could push these Deadwoodites around. He didn't see it coming. He didn't think it could be taken out that way. Mm. Yeah, I think there's, for a lot of these guys, there's a certain amount of, they wouldn't dare. I'm yeah. too important. That was uh, Otis's problem and this guy's problem, and uh, I think there were a few others. And the answer is, yeah, they would dare. <laughs> uh, well, Brom was very foolish Brom. at the Brom beginning as well, yes. because... Yeah, I mean, yeah. he has the same idea. Like, well, logically, it wouldn't make sense to kill me because, as as the magistrate <laughs> says, I didn't generate the warrant. So, just you know, if I disappear, it's not going to quash the warrant. The warrant's still going to exist. So, and Otis is kind of like, yeah, you could beat me up, but what's that going to do? Like, they're they're gonna that's just going to make you look bad. They all have this logical response, like why people in Deadwood wouldn't do what they do, and they <laughs> don't factor in emotion. Yeah. Yeah. 
And they don't factor in the fact that they've left civilization. They keep thinking that logic right. of their civilized society makes a difference in this free-for-all that they've stepped into. The lack of law. Mm-hmm. Yep. The troops are leaving camp. Seth offers to see to Otis, but Alma doesn't begrudge him an uncomfortable journey. Ugh, that would be... Slung over the back of that mule or whatever, horse. Yeah, your ribs would be so sore by the end. <laughs> oh. I mean, when he carried him out, like, you know, the fireman's carry, and then slung him over that mule, mm. I was just, okay. Ouch. They really have, don't care what happens to this guy. Yeah, have fun going back to New York. Yeah. <laughs> or however far you go before you get on a stagecoach or a train. Well, not, at least he's alive. Not to mention the fact that Dan could still, I mean, they know where the troops are going and I can't see that honestly the troops are going to pay that much attention to this guy I can believe that General Crook gave his word and therefore he will make sure that it doesn't happen yeah he'll have the guy ministered to but we don't even know if that group has a a doctor or anything else it's going to be a long ride to this other place I mean it's by the time he gets to New York, he'll just be a big purple swollen head. <laughs> <laughs> no so we, we may touch about this later in predictions, but do you think there's a chance Otis could come back? Do you think there's a chance that this New York business of people in New York thinking Alma did Brahmin, do you think, do you think it's settled? Do you think there'll be repercussions? Season three is coming back. Okay. It's going to skip season two. It, it, yeah, it's going to take some time to come back because it's going to take some time for him to get back to New York. So, mm. I think it will resurface absolutely in some form. I'm not sure how yet. L knocks at Doc's cabin. The Reverend has passed. The Doc plans to drink tonight, and a bit later we'll see L deposit Doc in a, a chair at the uh, the gem. I think a shoe shine stand, maybe. I, yeah, I got <laughs> maybe. I gotta point out Mel's notes again. What is that note in reference to? It says, "Ah, this show." <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is that in reference to? It was in reference to when uh, uh, Seth puts on the badge. I got really excited. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, that was when L, great. Tells him, when L tells him to put on the badge, I was like, "Yes, fucking yes." <laughs> <laughs> Al really was not letting him off the hook. He was not not going to let him just kind of slide by with the whole thing. It's like, no, you're going to commit. You're going to commit right in front of me. So good. A couple things before that happens. Jewel reports to the doc no stiffness or numbness with the boot. And Seth takes a shot that he doesn't pay for, which seems to be his custom. Then <laughs> <laughs> he goes upstairs, observes a fresh bloodstain. Then produces the tin and says, I'll be sheriff, and they toast to that. And huzzah! So are they, like, allies now? It seems like they should be at each other's throats all the time, but they seem to work well together. I don't know, they seem to get along. They didn't at first, earlier in the season, mm. but now they're getting along. I, I think, think it's things have changed. Yeah, they, maybe they understand each other better, do you think? I don't know. Yeah. I, I think I maybe guess... Seth has changed. I don't know. I think he's changed that much. Mm. Um, a little bit. But I think in a weird sort of way, Al had explained to him that 
almost that he could deal with an honest sheriff. Yes. Because he, I mean, yeah, he murders people and stuff, but he generally wants peace. He wants a peaceful town. Yeah, he just wants to make money and not right. No, no trouble. Right. More trouble than that. Right. He's not like Sai, where he wants to start a war in town. A race war. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he he had the guys robbing people and making it look like the Indians killed them a few episodes ago. But he does. That's kind of outside town. He wants the town to be peaceful, so having an honest sheriff, he can kind of work around. If, it's, if somebody's predictable, and he knows that they can't be bought... There's a comfort in, not, in always knowing where you stand with somebody. Yeah, exactly. You can, he can work with that. If he has to worry about whether the sheriff has been bought and whether he's going to be working against him, then he, he'll never know where things are coming from, especially if size the one that's got him under his finger. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem with Con Stapleton is that he seems to be very, uh, very much part of Sai's yeah. troop. Yeah. At least he's being steered toward certain things by Sai. That's why Sai was kind of, edu- you know, nudging him. Shouldn't you uh, go over there? Right. Mr. Sheriff. And-, <laughs> and the other thing is, I think Al is well aware that Seth would have no problem standing up to Sai. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there aren't too many people in town you could say that about. There's also no law in town, so Seth can maintain order, right. which is good for Al's business. Yes. Right. But he can't necessarily arrest Al for anything that Al might do. Yeah. Like that blood stain? <laughs> right. Like, yeah, you murdered a guy. Well, I can't do anything about it as sheriff, but I can maintain order. And that's what Al wants. He wants order. He doesn't want bags of shit to hold. Right. Stop giving him those bags. Right. <laughs> Stop shitting in bags as well. That's <laughs> what I said. <laughs> I mean, there are no courts. There is no jail. There is no, you know. There was a trial once, but it was ad hoc. Right. And they had to chain the guy up in the meat locker or whatever. Yeah. Very short term. So, so what can the sheriff actually do in, in, the, in the camp at this time? I, I wonder about. I would, what just jurisdiction does he have? I think he can put certain people into protective custody and probably take other people and put them in like isolation. Mm-hmm. And I think he could probably. It's like a if, bouncer at a bar. Yeah, mm-hmm. really. He could, you know, beat people into submission if if he needs to. He can shoot somebody who's threatening to shoot somebody else. Mm-hmm. He can probably throw people out of town. Or yeah. escort them to, if they're really bad, escort them to the local uh, military base or, you know, whatever, the fort, uh, just to get them in somebody else's custody. Well, if Seth becomes sheriff, who's going to become health commissioner? Can't be the doc. He's been arrested for grave robbing seven times. <laughs> Maybe Calamity Jane will come back and be health commissioner. Oh, yeah, she, she will be good at uh, that. Don't let E.B. or his little toady be the health commissioner. Imagine. Sophia can be health commissioner. Hey, that's what the beginnings of the United States uh, health insurance program. (laughs) Now we know. Wow, wow. Out on the balcony, everyone watches the cavalry ride out. 
E.B. gives a disgusted look he failed to profit from any of this. Al observes he's never spoken to Alma once since she came into camp. Anyways, he leaves Seth alone on the balcony so she can do a sexy striptease across the thoroughfare. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that Alma's last shot of the season is her looking out of a window because Molly Parker did some serious window acting this season. Yes, she That's did. That's true. Kind of comes full circle. As Seth watches Alma uh, across the way, we have a nice little transition back indoors as the piano music swells. Downstairs, Jewel is dancing with the doc. I was afraid he really wasn't going to dance with her. I'm glad he so did. Great. They're dancing. It's very sweet. Trixie's watching them. She looks up at Al. She gives this beautiful smile. Yes. <laughs> and he looks down at her and she kind of bites her lip. But she goes on smiling anyway because the moment is just so sweet. And it's the music is lovely and it's just... It's a great uh, last shot as it pulls back and we get a nice uh, wide shot of the of the gem where we spent so much time this season. And I really like the way they went into that shot following Al, that he had just had his discussion with with Seth and he turns and he walks through that door and looks down and this is what he sees and... and and he's watching from on high again, and he's not really part of it, but in some ways he's responsible for a lot of it. Yeah. Most, most, mostly everybody's in a good, <laughs> uh, good place at the end of this episode. Mm. They really are. Yeah, happy ending. The Reverend is out of his misery. Mm-hmm. Otis is gone for the moment. Jewel and the Doc are dancing. Seth and Alma have relieve some of the pressure they've been under. (laughs) (laughs) And I just love the doc smiling. I don't think we see him smile. We Mm. don't see him smile like that very often. All that's really left undone is just Al hasn't officially forgiven uh, Trixie yet. (laughs) I think it's Mm -hmm. just a, a hint of the fact that, like, just the fact that she's smiling at him and he didn't really turn away so much. Like yeah. I just feel like that's kind of It's the beginnings. He's just gonna have to learn to share her. Yeah. Yeah. The smile, the smile by, looked like it caught him by surprise. <clears throat> He's like, damn, you're too you're too adorable. I can't stay mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> if the series was not renewed for a second season, would this have felt like a good cap? Everyone's kind of at a good place now. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Except I, I, yeah. I still would have wanted to see Jane again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. She did yeah, disappear. It would have been, been a little frustrating <laughs> if it was canceled after this. Because, I mean, it's a nice cap to the season. It's very fulfilling. But at the same time, there's so much that is open. I mean, the problems with Otis and New York and what's going to happen with those two. And his... His wife and kid are supposed to be coming. Yeah. I don't know whether it's too late to to write him a letter and say, no, you know what, scratch that. This place is no place for him. Uh, <laughs> that would be funny. For you. But, you know, they're supposed to show up. Yeah. That's not going to stop him. Well, no, but it... It better not stop him. It's going to complicate uh, that. Bit. This is a love that cannot be stopped. That's right, it better not be. Did this feel like a season finale? Yeah. 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 It was yeah. good. Yeah. 
you know, sometimes they leave it like uh, they'll leave season finales kind of like on a cliffhanger. But this one wasn't so much a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. But I like this. I like this just the same. It's great. It's just good scenes. Like it, it felt a bit more dramatic, maybe. Mm. Yeah, it felt like it felt like a season. It felt like there were payoffs with yes. Alma's, Alma's story, and yeah. it felt like Seth's. Seth had an arc, a very yep. clear arc of not wanting to be in law enforcement, leaving that life behind. He's going to be a hardware guy that retail business wasn't for him. And he kind of went on his own little journey. Then he came back and ended up where he really needed to be. Yep. And that was like yeah. his story for the season. And it felt pretty clear. Yep. Like that was a clear arc. I feel like all the women in the show, Alma, Trixie, not Jane, I suppose, but Alma, Trixie, and Joni all found some sort of degree of liberation from their male oppressors. Yep. Mm-hmm. They found some independence. Yep. Uh, so that was that was their arc for the season. Uh, Psy kind of floundered. I don't know where his story... His story didn't kind of go anywhere. He's been moving on Chinatown. That's still a work in progress. Yeah, yeah. he's he just... We just saw what a lousy person he is, and I, I get the. I would imagine he's going to be much more in season two, much more of a problem. Mm. Ellsworth wasn't in this episode because Jim Beaver was having a personal crisis. Yeah. His, his wife, his yeah. wife passed. Is that what happened? Oh. Yes, I believe that that was um, around this time. Yes. Oh. It's very sad. It's really sad. Yeah, it's. Uh... And there was stuff I'll, going I'll on with his daughter too. I think. Uh, his daughter was sick, but um, uh, she it wasn't serious. Uh, she's uh, still uh, alive. I, I think she has some kind of um, uh, syndrome. Or, uh, I'm not quite sure. Hmm. But um, uh, I'll post his uh, comments on this episode, uh, or rather his thoughts on the, the season and the show and the people he worked with. Because he didn't remember anything about this particular episode. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I don't know when his his wife died exactly. I know she was she was sick, and when he mentioned something about that David Milch had given him time because of of what was happening with his family, I remember him writing something about his daughter. I think was being tested for. I'm not going to say what because I just don't, I'm not absolutely sure. And then they got her in schooling and so forth and she's, you know, she developed beautifully and, and, uh, you know, she's, she's quite, quite something else at this point. Yes, I think she's done, she's done quite well with, with what she has. I'm not quite sure what, uh, what exactly the diagnosis was. But he's talked about it, and um, yeah, yeah, and she's uh, she's very bright, um, funny young girl. But she was only she was less than five; she's like two or three years old, something like that. Wow! Yeah, yeah, it must have been really tough. Mm-hmm. I always love seeing Ellsworth, mm-hmm. but I I didn't necessarily miss him this episode because it was so stuffed with other stuff that yeah. with other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was so stuffed with other plots yeah. and characters that Charlie was barely. In. Yeah, Charlie was barely in it too. Um, when I saw him at the end, I was like, 
Jeez, no Charlie. You know, hardly any. Yeah. He did have a good little bit about the uh, the money that he got from Jane for okay. the girl for swearing, and oh, I'll give it to her later. Right. Yeah. At least he got like one really great line. Mm-hmm. And I almost felt like that was to remind us that Jane is still around. So that was Jane appearing in the episode. <laughs> was his- sure. <laughs> what if she never comes back? Oh, oh, oh that'd be sad. Stop it. <laughs> She's got to come back. I'd be okay with it. Yeah? It doesn't feel like we got any resolution for her. No, but like, I'd be okay with it. She just, like, came to town, lost her friend, found a purpose for a brief moment, then descended into drink and left. <laughs> you know, yeah. as much as I like all the characters in this show, I don't feel that any of them are particularly... Uh, Necessary? Well, or necessary, or meant to stay on forever, because it's mm-hmm. such a temporary town, anyways. Ad hoc, yeah. ad hoc, for fucking gratis. That's right. That's right. That's right. That you know, people, people, if people feel the need to move on, they will, and people have, people have come and gone. Yeah. Quickly. Yeah. You know, that's just the way this show works. I feel. Yeah. So. Don't really feel any kind of. I don't know, it's just meant, if it's meant to be, you know, whatever. She's got other stuff to do. Some people breeze in with big ideas and yeah. they they end up being fed to pigs. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I hope they don't feed the reverend to pigs. Oh. No. No, give him a proper burial after he does an autopsy and takes his head apart and yeah. what's going on in his brain. Well, let's go over our predictions from last episode. Carol predicted that Alma's father would try to sell her out, but his plans would be foiled. True! Mm. Ding, ding. She predicted that the magistrate plot will go to next season. No. Nope. It was actually finished. Wrong. She predicted that Eddie will get caught, but not die. That has yet to happen. Yet to happen. We'll go to season two on that one. Matt predicted that Cy will catch Eddie, and Eddie will die. (laughs) So, no. Alma will tell her father to get the hell out of her life, and he will leave. Yeah. <laughs> Kinda. Yeah. Sort of, Kinda. yes. Yeah. 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 And that the doc would shoot the reverend. No, yeah. Saints Row lied. Yeah. Mel predicted that doc will beat the reverend with Jewel's boot. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a delight remembering what you, what you predicted. <laughs> Seth and Alma are gonna do it. Oh, yes! it's true. Yeah. But, but you also said that Seth, Seth's family and Alma's family would walk in, and there would be a really awkward cliffhanger. <laughs> after which Alma would be sold to a brothel, and then Seth would be dressed as a woman and sold to a brothel. You <laughs> <laughs> probably should have stopped a little. <laughs> that one. So. Yeah, all three of you were technically right in sm- some small ways. So. Yes! But what really matters is the body count prediction. Carol predicted one. Mel predicted three. Matt predicted two. Yes. Matt is the winner. Again. Again. We had two deaths. Al suffocated the reverend and Silas slit the throat of the magistrate. But what you want to know, you want to know who won the season? Yes. It's not me. I tallied it all up. Oh my. And with zero points, Carol. <laughs> hey. I got I got one point for, for something sometimes. Um not for body counts. Yeah, that's, no. that's what counts. Oh body counts is definitely zero. 
Uh, Matt got five correct. And with six correct. What? No way. Mel. No way. Really? Who in the season? I don't remember. Oh my god. I remember you winning like once. Can I make an exception? I thought that, I thought Matt (laughs) was the one that kept getting him right. Yeah, me too. Uh, and nope. recount. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> if you want to see the spreadsheet, you certainly have. Uh, you certainly can. Uh, yes. What do I get? <laughs> get the satisfaction of beating Matt. You get, you get the ire of me. I, I always, I always want something. Mel's predictions is being like there was going to be thirty-six people dead. There was gonna yeah, the whole town's going to die. Town was going to be wiped out. Stuff like that. Predicted <laughs> no, that like twice. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. This yeah. Matt, this doesn't sound reasonable. I mean, <laughs> I have a dog in this fight, but uh, <laughs> doing a victory. Wow, they're really trying to take away your victory. <laughs> I don't give a shit because I won. She doesn't care. She's just dancing. <laughs> I'm just dancing. I won. <laughs> Are you as nimble as a forest creature? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. Uh, I did not have it in my quotes, but I love that line. <laughs> oh, I thought you would. It's just why I didn't say it earlier. I I didn't think of it until just now when you said it. Great line. All right, let's get into some feedback. Uh, first, I've got a very short one from Fry. Ina, would you like to read this one? All right. This is from Fry. Hi, Hooplecast. I haven't listened to much of your podcast recently, so I will get on that. But I'm just sending this one in advance because I love this episode so much. Though to be honest from it, I'm pretty sure there's a scene with the duck crying and I think that's really well done. I also love the final shot of the season. I wonder what each member's favorite episode of the show has been so far. Ooh. We'll cover ratings later and I'll say who gave the highest to what episode, but... uh... Then we can also kind of talk about maybe standout scenes and things, but uh, we'll get to that after we do the feedback. Thank you, Fry. Fry sent that about like three months ago. Wow. <laughs> thank you, Fry. Yes, thank you. Okay, Matt, why don't you read this one from Nutty? Nutty New Nutty. Nutty. Okay. Is she a newbie? I can't remember. She is. Oh, okay, cool. Now, this was a good fucking episode. Damn, it was fist pump worthy. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I feel like Jewel's story continued into this episode, so uh, so glad she got her boot. She got some story here. I love how she gets along with the doc, and it shows there's a lot more there to her than most people would see. She's so great. I hope we see more of her. This was the first episode I saw the Salma thing. And I don't mean because they had sex, but all through the beginning of the episode I saw it. I was scared last episode that Alma's father was paying too close attention to Sophia. That fear was confirmed this episode. He did deserve to die, and Seth was stupid for protecting him, but well, male. (laughs) (laughs) What's she saying here? (laughs) What's she saying about the males? Um, I love how angry Seth got. Don't, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what she's saying about us. Um... That you have a lot of anger issues? But that we're stupid for protecting people? I don't get I'm it. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I love how angry Seth got. Are you offended? <laughs> uh, I don't I'm know. I'm not even sure what she means, so. Yeah, I don't know if I should be. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should ask her to uh, explain what she meant. 
Yeah. <laughs> Write it on the Facebook group. That's right. I love how angry Seth got. It is what he's good at. And he kept telling Saul to stay away from him. Yeah, what was that about? You think he is he afraid he was going to lash out and punch Saul just cause, just for asking a question or something? Well, he has snapped at Saul before. Yeah. I kind of thought he didn't want Saul to try and talk him out of stuff or maybe or see him. Yeah. In that fashion. Yeah. Mm. He didn't want to be taken bothered. He was all Pac- pacified. He didn't want to be. Maybe that's what he didn't want to be pacified. Yeah, he wa- he yeah. really wanted to beat him, and yeah, he did not want Saul's good sense to yep. stop him. Saul just let me rage. Uh, he knew he was up to no good. Everyone followed him because they could all see something big was happening. Good scene between Alma and Joni too. The Calvary storyline was good. I'm glad the Reverend was cared for in the end. I was afraid he would be in pain and suffering alone in his tent. Doc knew what Al would do when it was time, but couldn't con- couldn't do it himself. He had to have a clean conscience by telling Al not to kill him. Al waited till it was time and did it himself, and he was and he was so sweet about it. You could see he was torn up. Brad Dorif deserves an award for pr- for that praying scene. Please tell me he got one. He got nominated. Hmm. Oh. Best supporting actor. Cool. He did not win. Seth, who won? I want to. I want to judge them. I'm sure they weren't as good. No. <laughs> Seth is sheriff. We uh, well, we uh, knew that would happen, and not just because Matt's other persona online is Sheriff Bullock. <laughs> I think everyone was in agreement he should do it before he could see it himself. Even Sai, who was pushing around the other guy. Nine out of ten miraculous blood stains. <laughs> Oh, she stole my rating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brad Dourif lost to Michael Imperioli from The Sopranos. Oh. Who's oh. he playing? He's playing the... Well, it's Christopher. Christopher. Oh, he's Christopher. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think Brad Dourif should have won it. Yeah. As good as, good as Christopher is, uh, Brad Dourif is really way better. Yeah. They were in Sopranos mode because Robin Weigert was also nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She lost to Drea De Matteo from The Sopranos. Yes. Mm-hmm. And David Milch was nominated for Writing for the Pilot, lost to Terrence Winter from The Sopranos. Yeah. We're watching yeah. The Sopranos right now. Yeah, we are. Uh, I don't find it's as good as Deadwood. No, I find, yeah, I like Deadwood way better. Hmm. We just watched the season two finale of Sopranos, one of that uh, dream sequence. Yeah. That was kind of neat. But yeah, definitely enjoying Deadwood more. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sopranos is on my list. Why are- Maybe you'd enjoy Sopranos more if you podcasted about it and you could talk through <laughs> Maybe. certain things. When you watch things in isolation, sometimes your, you know, your levels of appreciation vary than if you're in a, like a, yeah. Kind of a group thing. I just don't find anyone Could in be, but... I don't find anyone in the Sopranos to be a standout actor besides uh the main character. Gandolfini? No, you don't think Edie Falco? She's good too, yeah. Just fine. Yeah. Who is she again? She's the wife. <laughs> the wife, okay. Uh yeah. Sometimes she's okay. I don't know. My problem with the Sopranos was that there was never a character that I really gravitated towards. It's someone I really I'm also interested in that person. Yeah. I was starting to get that way with 
with Christopher when he was like doing his script writing thing in his acting classes, but then that was great, but yeah. then they dropped that, and then I'm like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, this is about Deadwood. <laughs> <laughs> when I asked Nutty which part of the episode was fist pump worthy, she replied, "The whole thing. It was a great season wrapper, and I just felt pumped through it." Agreed. Oh, okay. Agreed. Let's play feedback from Will. Yay. Yeah. 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 Hey, y'all, it's me! So I have feedback for the season one finale of Deadwood. Was it sold under sin? I really, really enjoyed this episode. It was a nice conclusion to the first season. I do have some notes. Uh, it was hard seeing the Reverend go through what he was going through. I guess it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to die at brain tumor. I guess there wasn't much he could do for people back then. Maybe not a whole lot you can do for people now. But it was, I don't, I don't want to say nice, but it was interesting to see Al show some compassion and put him out of his misery. Was it a good thing? I don't know. Man, it's loud. I don't know if y'all can hear what I'm hearing, but traffic is loud. Um, I like that Al stood up to the magistrate, and I also like that people stood up to Al, like the doc. And I always like when people stand up to Al. Seth does it sometimes. Saul tried to do it, but it didn't quite work out. I like the Doc helping Jewel and trying to help the Reverend. I like the uh, Doc and Jewel had a little dance together. And yeah, I think you're right. Jewel does sound like she's pretty smart. <coughs> Brothel. <coughs> Brothel. <laughs> yeah. And Seth was a little bit of a hypocrite, but he did fix things in the end, didn't he? And he's finally sheriff now. Huzzah! <laughs> so this episode's. Like uh, like when you're in between rounds, like you just went one round and you're getting ready for round two. and But you got to rest a little bit because you're not as young as you used to be. Energy, dude. Um, I'm not speaking from personal experience at all. Damn 20-year-olds and all their energy. <laughs> anyway, I got to go. I'm going to announce my plan so I can hear God laugh. Oh, what I just did. <laughs> Talk to you later, guys. Bye. <laughs> Bye, Will. Thank you. Thanks for sending in feedback all season. Yes, thanks. Yes, thank you, Will. Some of our feedbackers were very consistent, and I really appreciate that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All you inconsistent ones, though, screw off. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. You just don't get the really uh, modifier. <laughs> all right, I have feedback from Christiana. She sent in voice feedback. Uh, Christiana, I forgot to mention when I talked about her Space Casey and the other podcast that she was on, because she read the um, that piece about Negro peculiarities for us, that she's also one of the hosts of Beyond the Wall, a Game of Thrones podcast, Oh, which is a very excellent podcast for that show. Yes. And she's a veteran Deadwood fan, and she's been catching up on the episodes so that she can get on board the podcast with us. So she sent in feedback for the first time, so let's listen to it now. Johnny's brewing coffee, then he'll open up some peaches. <laughs> Doc drinks a lot of whiskey, hope that he don't poop his breeches. <laughs> Hello, Hooplecast! I'm Christiana Ellis. I've only just caught up with you guys, so this is my first feedback of hopefully more to come. I am a veteran Deadwood fan and absolutely loved the show during its original run, but now I'm enjoying this rewatch even more than I expected. 
this is a big episode, obviously, because of the season finale and all, but so much tension! Ah! The one storyline I have mixed feelings about is the mystery of Adams's loyalty. For whatever reason, I just never latched onto that character. He's such a cold fish compared to everyone else on the show. Everything else was firing on all cylinders for me in this episode. During my original viewing, this episode was kind of a revelation, as it finally clicked for me that this was more Al's show than Seth's. Al is the one in the center of everything. Specifically, it was his own sort of brutally pragmatic kindness toward the Reverend that opened up my eyes in this regard. Even Doc, who was so upset about the Reverend's suffering that he, of all people, was moved to pray, still struggled with taking real action. Al is not worried about the state of his soul when he helps the reverend to pass over, so he does what, as he sees it, needs to be done. That kind of complexity is interesting. And I suppose we could also ask if, perhaps, Doc really thought that's what was going to happen when he uh, asked Al to help taking care of him. Anyway, Al has got the reputation of being this bad, scary guy but he's the hero that Deadwood deserves, even if Seth is the one it needs right now. <laughs> so yes, I'm essentially saying that Al Swearingen is Batman. <laughs> Seth, on the other hand, I don't know who he would be in the Batman analogy, but he is just this seething cauldron of constant rage, and it's kind of amazing to watch. Um... He's just this guy that uh, he doesn't want to be in charge, and yet every time he sees other people not doing it right, it just gets his goat, and he is so mad all the time. Um, and the tension that that creates is amazing. With a scene leading up to, hey, you better take your swing, just the tension there, oh, so good. And uh, to weigh in on Timothy Oliphant's line reading... My long-standing crush on Timothy Oliphant has nothing to do with the fact that you are wrong and that he is awesome in everything he does and never does anything wrong. <laughs> Seriously, though, I never felt like his line reading was any limitation of his skills or even the direction, but rather just that the character of Seth is like that. Yeah. He is weird and awkward when he tries to be sincere and express any emotion except anger. My take on Al and Trixie is that Al really does love her in his way, even if he is too uptight about any feelings that make him feel vulnerable to really admit it, even to himself. And as previously discussed, he's uh, struggling with some really uh, deep-seated internal misogyny that I think his own nature would resist against, uh, but it's just he's got this trauma in his backstory. He's struggling with this, and he is really realizing slowly that uh, Trixie has already slipped away in her heart. That said, for Trixie, I don't think she wants to hurt Al either, and she doesn't really know what else she would do if she left him, but she's finally starting to feel like maybe there can be more for her in life than Al can offer. And the uh, smile that she offers him at the end is nice, but for Al, it's bittersweet. And the last thing that I want to comment on is simply that Doc making the brace for Jewel and them dancing together made me so happy. Nimble as a forest creature, indeed. Anyway, great show, Hooplecast. Love you guys. Love the show. 
I will be back. <laughs> yeah, that's ominous. <laughs> <laughs> wow. My shotgun. I will be back. <laughs> <laughs> we already established that Seth is the Hulk. So it's a DC Marvel crossover. Yes. That's right. Thanks for that. Lots of good insights. Did did we mention at all that there was a there was a parallel thing going on between Doc's thing with the Reverend and Seth's thing with uh, Alma's father, Otis? Uh, In what way? Well, Doc takes the Reverend to Al, and some people think that he was taking the Reverend to Al so Al would kill him for him. And Seth definitely went to Al to have Al kill Otis for him. And the reasons were different, and the reactions were different, but there was a certain parallel there of people people wanting Al to... Uh, solve their problems for them? Solve their problems through murder. <laughs> oh, through murder. <laughs> for them. Or just solve them in some fashion, because uh, Al does seem to be... He's respected as the guy who runs the town, and he does seem to be the guy who would have a solution to every every issue. But in both those cases, the well, I mean, the Reverend, I, I really thought the Reverend wanted him to just kind of keep, I mean, the doctor wanted to keep the Reverend to be, you know, kept comfortable till he died. But I think that's half of it. The other half is that the doc couldn't stand to see him in that yeah. condition any longer. No, he couldn't stand to see him any longer. And And you might very well be right that he was actually hoping that Al would take matters into his own hands if if things just went on for too long and uh, and so forth. But in both cases, they were coming to Al to look um, someone who needed to die for Al to take care of. I think that's a good observation, that we all think that Al can solve problems, and yes, and occasionally or often solves them with murder. <laughs> what are you going to do? That's what he does. <laughs> that's what he does. Now, you, you get what you pay for. She said she realized that the um, the story was about Al rather than Seth. I really have kind of felt like it was it was both of them. Well, Al is the established presence in the sh- in the town, and Seth is kind of our our point of view when we first learn the town, what the town, how it operates. True, he's our. I do find that Al eclipses Seth toward the end, though this is a very strong episode for Seth. I feel like we're watching two people's journeys, and I'm kind of wondering at this point if they're headed towards each other as far as Al becoming almost more honest and Seth, or at least our perception of him, and Seth becoming more corrupt. Ooh. Hmm. Hmm. And that we're watching two journeys that are sort of headed into a into a meeting, almost. I don't know. I mean, that's... That should be in your predictions, Carol. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, as long as I don't get anywhere near how many people are going to die. Well, we're not doing that anymore, so we'll be fine. Okay, good, because I truly am not good at that, as you may have noticed. What was my score again? I'm too embarrassed for you to say. (laughs) It was zero. I can deal with it. I can pass. <laughs> Our last bit of feedback is from Harold Mel. Yes. Melanie. Yes. 
That is my would name. You please read this. You got my name please? right. I, I had to think in my head there. I wanted to make sure I got it right. Because <laughs> I would have never. Would you please read this? It's right. from Harold. Okay. While this episode certainly had some major developments, only the closing scene felt like a season finale. Major plot points were not addressed. For that matter, the season as a whole is very oddly plotted for a television show in this current golden age, where showrunners get to plot out the entire season before shooting. Some plots came and went, and others started but never finished. We started out with Wild Bill Hickok and his murder, and then we had a smallpox breakout, the Veronica Mars crossover, and finished up with the de- Degenerate Daddy. <laughs> there really hasn't been... Degenerate Daddy. <laughs> there really hasn't been anyone through line except for the growth of the camp, which is mainly something that was happening in the background. So, for example... When Tolliver and his crew arrived, it seemed like there would be some sort of major conflict between him and Swearingen. Not so much. Eddie was going to swindle Tolliver. What happened to that? Joni was going to get her own brothel? I'm still waiting. <laughs> Bullock's going to send for his wife. I think he did that with smoke signals. <laughs> <laughs> Calamity Jane used to be in this show. When Hickok died and the epidemic was over, there wasn't anything for her to do. So she wandered off into the wilderness. Nor was there any resolution to the of the Al, Trixie, and Saul situation. I recently read the book Difficult Men by Brett Martin about showrunners from The Sopranos through Breaking Bad, which details David Milch's habit of rewriting scripts on the day of shooting. Whoa. You can also hear similar tales from Stephen Toblowski on his podcast The Toblowski Files. And it just shows, I just watched the new season of Orange is the New Black, which is tightly plotted, so that some little thing from episode 2 will come back in a big way in episode 12. Nothing like that happens on Deadwood. It is too random and scattered. Which is not to get down on this episode or the season. It's just not like the other shows, for better or for worse. This episode did have a couple of my favorite moments in the history of Deadwood. Doc's argument with God, and Doc and Jewel dancing in the gem while Al watches from upstairs. And Russell coughing up teeth is one of the more memorable moments. (laughs) (laughs) I have to agree with the magistrate that a warrant won't go away just because he was killed. However, it will probably lower the price with future magistrates. I rate this 8 out of 10 mysteriously appearing bloodstains. Thanks, Harold. Hey, Harold. Harold, You know, Harold Harold had a... the harsh realism. Yeah, Harold had a history of doing this on our Briscoe County Junior podcast, too. (laughs) (laughs) I like how mir- uh, miraculously and mysteriously appearing bloodstains seems to be the favorite rating. Yes. Yeah. Isn't Steven Toblowski the guy that played uh, What's-His-Face from Groundhog Day? Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. He he was on Deadwood. He hasn't shown up yet. <gasps> Steven Toblowski? <laughs> and I won't say in what capacity he appears. Sweet. Yeah. But it's, it's been mentioned a few different times in different places that he was coming on, that he was on the show at some point. So. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And David Milch does have a history of rewriting scenes, like the day of or the day before, or coming on to the set and saying, "Oh, I like that guy. Give that guy a line." Yeah. Well, he's just the he's just yeah. the craft services guy. Well, I like how he looks. He should be the <laughs> blah blah blah. Like, that sounds like the way David Lynch directs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I don't know. I guess I'm did, just did, enjoying these individual characters and scenes. Yes, but I mean, is he? He's not rewriting entire scripts. He's just like adding things to the script, right? Yeah, tweaking. I think so yeah. yeah. Okay. My understanding is that 
the other writers who are credited with the episode get like the first pass, and then Milch comes along and changes things, uh, makes the language more his his speak. Milch I don't think there's speak. anything wrong with that. I I don't really necessarily find the the season too messy. It does kind of, I mean, it does sort of have chunks where, okay, the first four episodes about Wilbur Hickok, the next four are about the camp without Hickok, and then the last four are about Al Swearingen dealing with certain things. But I didn't care, because, you know, it's 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 more, I don't know, it's more real life, because you get, yes. uh, like, he gives that ex- gave that example of Orange is the New Black, yes, but I mean, everything is, could be too neatly tied up, do you know what I mean? Like, Real life is not like that. Plus, that's happening in a prison. Yes, but I mean... Where things can only change so much. Even so, real life does not tie up in neat little... Like, you know, there's always going to be... Like, things don't always come full circle. Sometimes things keep going forever. Yeah, the camera feels like it's just a a place where things are happening. Yeah, that's... It feels like just you have this window into these people's lives. Mm -hmm. And the thing is... Things happen, and then things pass. And that's it. That's what it is. But the thing is, what you do have that's constant is you have this dealing of characters of the main characters of Seth, of a- and Al specifically, and what's going on with them and reacting to these various events that are that and people that are coming and going. You know, whether it's Al and Seth, or whether you want to put Trixie in there and Alma in there. Um, you know, people are coming and going, and events are happening all around them. And all those things are affecting these people, and that's the through line. In my opinion. Not spoilery to say that there's a very strong through line in season three, and when I asked Harold, or like when I mentioned that in my response to Harold's feedback, he says, I just wish that what was in season three kind of was in season one, because there isn't a strong through line. It is a little scattershot. It is a little random. I think it's kind of messy, like the camp is messy. Yeah. The camp is being built in the... I mean, we start, there isn't even a hardware store, there's just tents. Now at the end, there's more buildings than there were before. Like, the whole thing is being built, and it's all kind of starting, and it's messy the way that the camp is messy, and people come in, and people go out, just like people would do in in the real Deadwood back then. Yeah. They come in, they try and do a scheme, or pan for gold, it doesn't doesn't pan out to, you know, no pun intended. And then they leave camp and they try something else, somewhere else. Yeah, no, that's what I like about the show. I like about, I like how real it feels to me. It just feels real. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the characters have this, like, transient nature, like Jane, where she can't stay in one spot for very long. She gets antsy and she has to leave. Mm -hmm. You know, I was thinking about Jane and what you asked earlier. And, I mean, this is like, if I were going to have a wish list for Deadwood, it occurred to me that it would be so cool for them to bring Jane back after she had gone off and done some of the historical things that she did. And I don't know what years those were and all that, but if they brought back that Jane that had experienced all these other things and who she changed into, that would be, like, so cool. I sent a message back to Harold. You raised some good points about the messiness of the plotting, although I would argue, and I will argue on Sunday, that a few characters do have definite season-long arcs that conclude in the finale, which makes it feel finale-ish. And he responded, there is good character development, something which I didn't mention in my feedback. (laughs) That's funny. 
That's what I'm enjoying, I think, yeah. Yeah, because there's not really plots, but there are character arcs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we saw with Seth and yeah. Alma, yeah. I guess with Doc and his limitations of how, what he can do as a doctor, Trixie's liberation from Al, Joni from Psy, the Reverend, of course, had a pretty final arc. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, there's there were there were payoffs to certain things, and I think I'm more interested in the characters' development and their arcs than I am in in individual pro- plot points or certainly having a plot going through the season. You know, I mean, you've got <laughs> the building of the camp and how it affects people. So I'm I'm happy with that. I'm cool with that. And. Certain things like the smallpox. There was smallpox. There was an outbreak, but this is not a medical show, so it can't really dominate the show for many seasons So or episodes, so it just kind of shows up and then goes away. And we did talk about how abbreviated the those that Veronica Mars character, <laughs> Flora and Miles, yeah. yes, that, that they intended that to go a bit longer, then they changed their minds. So, But that was fine. But it was it was fine, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you shouldn't get payoffs. Yeah. Well, you know, it was something that happened, and it it revealed a lot of size character, and it gave us the feeling of this camp. This just reinforced how brutal this place could be. Yeah. I really appreciate that feedback, though, because it gave us a lot to to talk about. And, and about the season as a whole. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I was really happy that Harold sent that, actually. Yeah, well, it kind of makes you realize why you like what you like. and makes, mm-hmm. made us think about it. Yep. It did. And it's good to have other opinions. Yeah, it is. Sometimes disagreeing with something puts something more in focus than agreeing with it. Mm-hmm. Though, I mean, I do agree to a certain extent that, yes, yeah, some of the plots were a little... Uh, Kind of petered out, or or need need to be addressed because they're still left open, or or whatnot. Yeah, there's there's a little messiness. Oh yeah, I, but I agree. That's fine. Yeah. I agree that completely with what he said. Yeah, but it just didn't bug me for some reason. No, it didn't bother. <laughs> yeah. okay. Thing that he mentioned, nothing of that bothers me. Yeah, I. That's the funny thing. All of us, I think, agree with all the points he made, except that I didn't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just affected me differently than affected. Well, he says it's not just like other shows, for better or worse. Right. But actually, it, from what I understand, critics tend to keep Deadwood out of their top one or five shows because it doesn't have that strong plotting that a show like The Wire has, which I have not seen and I, I really should at some point. But I, I do know that each season of The Wire had a theme, like this This. This one's about corruption, this one's about... Uh, the press or this one's about drugs and and it's very clear what each season what the agenda is for each season which i think when you have a strong point of view like that it it people tend to respond to it more that's a that's formulaic though do you know what i mean like when you have plotting that's you're following a formula well i think it's a theme that each season yes, of the wire has that's a, and that's a formula well i guess yeah this but I like that this show feels more like art to me. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? It feels more, yeah. feels more, it feels more natural. Natural. True from, to life. True to life. It feels like it's from, it's just, yeah, I just like that. 
words are failing me. <laughs> but I like it. Hey, I've, well, I've got a call back to the first uh, pilot question for everybody. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure we discussed, we were all kind of saying, what in the world it, are the opening credits about? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if anybody else have has gotten a feel for what they feel like the opening credits is about. I don't really... I never try. I don't really think I care at this point so much. <laughs> I feel like the opening credits are about the journey of a horse. It's like a horse that Lint is... Lint Baxter. Yes, it's the journey of a horse through the mud and through the water, <laughs> and he's going to go help people, just like the littlest hobo. <laughs> <laughs> I, just thought, I just thought of it as... Hey, that horse got free. Somebody stop it! And then no, it and then and then yeah, and then now he's gonna go help the people of Deadwood <laughs> solve their troubles. And okay. he might carry a gun in his mouth at some point. I hope. <laughs> okay, I guess I just gave more editing for Matt to do. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> I just I wanted ask? to stick the littlest hobo in there again. I'm not sure what the credits are. I mean, it's an ambiance theme. It, Thing. It, it sort of sets tone, I suppose. I, I actually, I mean, they he has all the elements from the show in it, and that that was kind of obvious at the beginning. But you know, we had talked about, if I remember correctly, we talked about like why does the horse disappear in the end, and everything. And I, I, I keep getting this feeling every time I watch it that it's somewhere between. This is a place of our imagination that doesn't really exist, or this is something that existed a long time ago, and it's gone now. It's disappeared. But it, you know, it just was just one of those questions. Why? Well, it's possible it doesn't, that people who dreamt up the sequence didn't give it too much thought. They're like, a horse looks pretty, and there's some guys playing cards. Yep. And there's some whiskey being poured. Pretty much. But maybe it means like the like it's the horse is taking a journey through like the wilderness, through the through the woods, through the 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 creeks where they're mining for or panning for gold, and into a town, and then this is like civilization, like we're we're seeing the birth of a place. We're going from rural to urban or something. Yeah, that could be. I I'm sure he, I'm sure <laughs> yeah, he probably sure, let's go that. put a lot of thought into it, but you know. That's... I don't know. Uh, you know what? There is a website called Art of the Title. Yeah. Where they analyze the title sequences of shows and movies. So Of course there is. <laughs> let's see if they did one for Deadwood. Of course. They did. Does it have spoilers? I don't know if they actually did a whole breakdown of it. Like, I know they've done breakdowns of some of these. are very in-depth. Well, I'll wait till after season three. Yeah, I will post it on the Facebook group, unless there are spoilers, in which case I will not. Well, let's uh, rate this episode, Ina. Yes, I am. I haven't fallen asleep yet, <laughs> uh, even if it's uh, one thirty in the. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Ina. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You'll have dreams of of Deadwood tonight. We're sorry. Oh, we I'll all have so the well. gift of the gab. I I, I, uh, I, I was dreaming about the dark and jewel dancing. <laughs> oh, that's a well, nice. That's a, pl- that's a pleasant dream. <laughs> yeah, I really like this episode. It's it's one of the, my favorite um, episodes of Deadwood. Um, I think it's a really nice uh, season finale, and lots of it's very packed. Uh, there's lots of stuff going on, 
Uh, I like the stuff with uh, Alma and Seth. Uh, Seth's journey throughout this episode. And everyone agrees that he should take up the sheriff's star, and he does it. And he gets together with Alma. And also, there's really strong stuff with the Redman Smith and uh, Al's mercy killing and the dog's prayer, which really affect me emotionally. And there's a nice uh, ending, kind of a happy ending. Uh, I'll give it nine and a half out of ten toad sacks full of lettuce. <laughs> nice. Mel, why don't you go next? I love this fucking episode. <laughs> this was great. Well, I have already said why I like it. It's just, ah, so good! Anyways, I'm gonna give it 11 out of 10 badges on the tit. <laughs> she allowed to do that? I'm giving it 11. But you're gonna She's allowed it. to say it, and I'm allowed to put down 10 in the spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> Editing again, even in that case. <laughs> there are rules no, that must be followed. Funny. Matt, you're gonna write Otherwise, down everything falls apart. Nope, 11. <laughs> you're gonna crash his Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> Carol, why don't you go next? Um, yeah, I pretty well said why I like this episode. I really like this episode a lot. I felt... I felt it did work very well as a season finale. There were some gorgeous, gorgeously filmed scenes that really made you feel like everybody in the town was living life um, for better or for worse and and that things were swirling around everyone and affecting everybody and specifically our main characters. Um, I'll give it nine and a half out of 10 because I have a feeling there's more to come. Uh, nine and a half out of 10 private beginner murder lessons. Oh. <laughs> Matt. Uh, I liked it a lot too. I liked everything about it basically except for maybe like the army stuff. That didn't really catch me. Uh, so I'll take off half a point for that. I'll give it 9.5 out of 10 nimble forest animals. Oh, hmm. I was tempted to give it a ten because the only other episode I gave a ten to is the plague episode, which I loved because no, actually that's not true. I also gave a ten to the grifter one, except for the little children because I I just remember how shocking it was to me that uh, and how brutal that one was, and I loved the plague one because I thought the meeting scene was fantastic and it gave us canned beaches, <laughs> which is amazing. So I was gonna give this one nine point five because of the cavalry stuff. I I I wasn't too into that, but you know what? It was so good. I got Seth and Alma. I got Seth beating up Otis. Doc and Jewel were were dancing. Doc had a great scene when he was praying, and the Reverend got snuffed out in a beautiful way. It was just. Oh, I, I suppose I could take off a little half a point because Trixie had hardly anything to do, and I love Trixie. But you know what? Joni makes up <laughs> Joni makes up for it because she had a great scene with Alma. That's right. I'm gonna give this one ten yes! out of ten. Degenerate daddies coughing up teeth. <laughs> oh. oh yeah, I forgot. Part of my my point five that I was taking off was the the moments of uh, Timothy Oliphant that I just didn't. I didn't connect to, so 
That was part of my point five. Wow. But I liked all the rest of the stuff he did. We can look back on our uh, ratings. The highest rated episode was the one we just talked about. Episode 12. Yeah. 9.75 is the average rating. Woohoo. Before that, the highest was... The highest was episode 6, Plague, with an 8.7. Cool. Mm, this one's much higher. Yeah. Oh, no, our our second highest episode was actually Here Was a Man, episode 4. That's the one where Wild Bill was shot. Mm-hmm. Well done, sir. And the lowest was Jules' boot is made for walking with a 7.2. Hmm. Yeah, it was, I think that was just so disappointing by the title. Yeah. <laughs> so I gave 10s to this one, episode 8, Suffer the Little Children and Plague. Carol, your, this was your highest rated episode. By a lot. But you also gave good marks to episode 4, Here Was a Man, Bullock Returns to the Camp, and Suffer the Little Children, which didn't seem to like, but you gave it pretty high. Matt, you also gave a 9.5 to No Other Sons or Daughters. And I remember you said, I don't know why, I just really like this one. <laughs> I can't remember either. And Mel gave nines to episodes three, four, five, <laughs> seven. I like this show. <laughs> good. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I always get excited when it's uh, Deadwood Day. When we get to watch the show, I'm like, yes! Yay, it's Deadwood Day. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Get out your peaches. <laughs> you know what? Oh my god. Yes. For episode one of next season, we're buying canned peaches. <laughs> that's that's amazing because you don't even like peaches. <laughs> I like peaches. I do now. <laughs> Ina, would you like to nominate your character of the episode? Yeah, I thought about it uh, because there are a lot of Good characters, I mean, I could name, name Seth or Doc or, uh, yeah. Uh, but I'm gonna name Al because, um, he was the one who took care of Reverend Smith's situation. No one, no one else could. Okay. And I always enjoy watching Al and for me he is, he is kind of Deadwood to me at least. Um, at least in this uh, this season. All right, Mel. I I agree with Ina that there was a lot of characters that were, yeah, they were just really fascinating to watch this episode. But I'm going to give it to the Doc because he should have won that damn award. Why didn't he win win that award? I don't know. They should have gave it to Brad Dorif. Me too. He's yes. friggin', friggin' amazing in this episode. I like, agree with everything she just said. Oh my god, he's amazing. Anyways, yeah, I'm giving it to Doc. Matt, you are as well? Yep. Carol? Doc. Oh. He was just so... He was just incredible. I mean, Al was wonderful. You know, in an Al way. In um, <laughs> an Al way. <laughs> Yeah, he was great too. Like I loved Al in this episode too, but yeah. Yeah, Seth's character development was great. You know, we finally got the blow up that we've been waiting for for the entire I mean, he's been on his way to blowing up for the entire season. But Doc, it was just a tour de force. He was just amazing. Mm. He was all over the place and every single beat was was real. Was truthful. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go against popular opinion. Because I am going to give it to Seth. Ah! Though I did prefer Brad Dourif's performance. 
I just think this was a great Seth episode. Mm-hmm. I agree. It was. You're right. Yeah. Everything with Otis and the sheriff badge, and he became sheriff. Hey, he should. I'm giving it to him. I can't disagree with any of the choices this episode. No. If someone had given it to Sai, though, I would have been like, all right, fuck you. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, no. Good choices, guys. Well, even if we had all said Doc, he would not have won the season because the character with the most nominations is Al Swearingen. He has 13. Oh, wow. Congrats. Doc has 10. Calamity Jane and Seth are tied at 6. Which isn't bad for Jane, since she was absent for the last couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Saul had three. Uh, our twos are Charlie, Wild Bill, Alma, and Johnny. And then there's just a bunch of ones. The Reverend Dan, Soapy, Jack McCall, Flora, the Titty Licker, Cy <laughs> Tolliver, Joni Stubbs, Jewel, Mr. Wu, Jimmy Irons, Trixie, and the whore who leaks piss when she giggles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, time for quotes. Ina. All right, I'll start with uh, this one from Seth. I'll be the fucking sheriff. <laughs> Carol? Some of mine were taken in the feedback, or almost. Oh, well. Announcing your plans is a good way to hear God laugh. Mel? Yes? Watching you struggle with what is beneath your spirit to understand is always painful for me. Fuck you! Uh. <laughs> All right, Matt, what you got? Set your broom aside and sit down. I said set your broom aside. You have to remove it from my clutches. She was great. Yes. I didn't feel, you know, I should have deducted half a point because I don't feel like I had a lot of quotes from this one. But uh, there's so many good. Too late now. I'm going to give, I think my favorite quote was Eddie's. It was like such a throwaway line, but it just made me laugh so much. It was uh, during the after uh, Seth punched Otis. He goes, "Gentlemen, watch the felt." Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> great line. He just says it so blasé. I like uh, I like uh, Eb walking away from the the hotel saying, "I know what's in the till." <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. I got you. Have the tin? I do. Produce it. On the tit. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the commentary, Timothy Oliphant says, oh, that line where I know where it goes was the only thing I contributed uh, dialogue-wise to the season. That was my line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. It must cost you sleep, the guests you drive off, the chances of thieving and bilking you lose, needing to rub against your betters. <laughs> Does it belong to that mayor? Yes. But I can check you in. <laughs> I love him. I have, I have a quote from Al as well. Yes. Young Adams, no satchel, no case. But now, don't tell me you shrunk that magistrate's head so you can carry it around in your coat. And that warrant against me, now quashed, just peeking out of his tiny mouth. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> the tiny mouth. <laughs> Heads. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> How did you I, spring, too? <laughs> I know! Shrunk the wart with the head! <laughs> I got the, the duck. Oh, fuck you, Al. <laughs> mm. With a lot more anger, of 
Yes. <laughs> Do it more angry. Wake up everyone in your neighborhood. <laughs> oh, fuck you out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay, now I woke up my house at least. <laughs> you can't murder a warrant. No, but I can murder you. Yep. I can have Silas do it. Uh, this is between Claggett and Al. A failure to properly value your freedom in the promising days ahead. Maybe you don't value keeping your fucking guts inside your belly enough. And then before that, he says, forego your bath a moment, magistrate, unless you want a girl to sponge you while we converse. Any other quotes? I'm as nimble as a forest creature. <laughs> No, say it about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Adorable. So cute. Yeah. Well, I'll just end with this last one. You can go now, brother. Aww. Aww, my heart hurts. Is anybody (laughs) shipping the dock and Jewel? No. (laughs) Duel? No, No, there's no sexual tension there. (laughs) It's just sweet. Are they dual or Jokrin? <laughs> oh. Huh. Tough one. I mean, they could be Jock. So it's French. <laughs> Jacques. Sure, Jacques. <laughs> All right. Well, we are taking the rest of the month off because we are, some of us, are going to Washington for the Twin Peaks Festival. Mm-hmm. Have a great time. We will. Hopefully we will. And we won't be so sick of each other. No. We won't? Hopefully we won't. (laughs) I hope not. But in a week, we will be back to discuss an episode of the Ian McShane series Lovejoy with Shane Poole from England. Uh, It's apparently a show that he's very familiar with. I've never seen it, but I keep hearing that it's like Murder, She Wrote meets Antiques Roadshow. (laughs) So I'm very curious what this is. But I gave him a list of uh, episodes. Well, actually, I said, you know what? Just pick one that you think represents the show that doesn't require a lot of like backstory or what have you so that we can just watch it and then see what it's like. Because uh, I've heard from other people that they can't bring themselves to watch Deadwood because they can't imagine Ian McShane as anyone but this character. Oh. This Lovejoy person. Because apparently this was a big show in England at the time. So I don't know. So we'll see. So we're going to be, that's just a one-off. I don't know exactly when it'll be released. If there's a lot of editing required, I have, packing to do for the uh for the festival that week so but we will be back in august some point to discuss the season two premiere a lie agreed upon part one can't wait one a lie agreed upon part one whoa Hmm. are we predicting (laughs) predict predict away um i predict that it's only going to be half a lie, and that part two will be the rest of the lie. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you're, it's going to be a whole episode with just a half a lie. That's kind of boring. Half a lie. Hmm. It's kind of boring. Unless maybe they might make it interesting, but... Hmm. Who lies a lot? Uh... <laughs> Everyone? <laughs> That's what people do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> going to be some lie involving Cy and Jody. Jody? What's her name? Jo- Joni. Joni. Jo- Jody Foster. Jody. Jody Foster's going to be in it's, it? It's going to be some sort of lie concerning Cy and Jody. <laughs> Joni. Foster. Jody. Jody Foster. <laughs> and they're going to, I don't know, she'll come back and work for him again. Okay. Because of said lie. 
taking it very literally. Yes. I think it's going to be about uh, Seth's... Uh, no, wait. Sheriffy stuff, and then he's going to be like, I have to do some terrible shit. I don't even know what I'm talking no, about. No, it's good. It's good. <laughs> You're right. It's probably not yeah. literal. It's probably not literal. It's probably something about society. <laughs> okay. Write that down. Something about it's society. Some sort of, society. Sort of, some sort of commentary on society and how... How people lie. How it's... What's the episode name again? It's all a lie. A lie agreed upon. A lie agreed Part one. It's, it's a lie we all Yeah, agree I think upon. it's going to be like between like Al and uh, Seth and, you know, how, you know, they, they kind of like, ooh. he has to look away from certain things. Ooh, ooh. So. It's, it's, we all have to <laughs> agree upon this lie because we're just basically like the savages and civilization is a lie. Uh, I'm going to predict that Otis, uh, expires before he gets back home and then everyone in Deadwood just says he was never here. <laughs> he was never Yeah, I like And then, then there's just a lot of like shifty looks like yeah. <gasps> <laughs> Oh, everybody's right? just going to be like never here. Oh, it's going to be like a, Are You ask a, about that Otis guy? Shh. <laughs> he was never here. Is it going to be like a cowboy showdown? Like everybody's got like the shifty eyes. They're all like looking at each other like bum bum bum. Yeah, like <laughs> <laughs> Carol, any thoughts? Well, in another show, I would have thought that there was probably going to be a number of different lies that different people were colluding on. But this show doesn't really seem to work that way. But I do feel like it's going to allude to probably something to do with Seth and Alma rather than... I mean, it probably will also have to do with Seth and Alma. I mean, that's where I get this whole feeling like, okay, you have a bunch of different compromises and lies being being uh you know we agree to not tell the truth about this but i kind of feel like it's seth and alma who are really going to be living a lie in a way with their relationship and everything okay now the title of this episode sold under sin i think it refers to alma and that relationship. Oh, it doesn't refer to Joni and literally being sold? I thought it was more that she was she was sold to Brom Garrett by her father to pay his gambling debts kind of thing. Mm. And that was the, that was the sin. What did you, did you guys have other thoughts? Uh, you said Joni and Cy? Well, well that's Joni one of by the... her own father, so it's kind of a reflection of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, I mean, their lives kind of parallel there. Yeah. Right. Right. That's that's the kind of thing I was talking about with the agreed upon lie where there's like more than one. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's going to have to do, it's going to reflect in a few places probably. Right. Right. And it reflected on this, but I was kind of looking for how it, how it, uh, applied to the reverend and the doctor and, and what was going with on with Al and Trixie. And I mean, in a way, I guess if, the Reverend was looking at dealing with the Reverend through putting him in the hands of someone who would euthanize him without him getting his hands dirty. You could say that was, you know, much less literal, sold under sin um, type thing. And it's the same thing with uh, Seth getting Alma out from underneath. I, it's stretching it a bit. <laughs> okay. 
Well, we're not doing body counts anymore. Yeah. So we're going to do something special for the next one. I want you guys to predict how many new characters we're going to meet oh. in the premiere. And by new characters, I mean characters that have speaking parts that aren't just like, hey, or something, you know, like a su- substantial character, the kind of character we're like, oh, yeah, that's a person that is important. You do realize that, that people with no lines have been under the best character of the episode marker <laughs> in the previous season, right? I realize that, yes. <laughs> I'm going to say three new characters. We can debate we can debate who's a character and who's not. Like I'll count them and then if you go, Well what about the la la da da that guy with the umbrella and the squirrel? It's okay. I'll be like oh, Yeah, I-, I guess he counted. I hope that happens. I hope there is a guy with an umbrella and a squirrel. <laughs> I mean if he hadn't Spoilers. sold those umbrellas Spoilers when it rained squirrels, they would have it would have been a disaster. So he was an important character. And I will say, Yes, that's fine, we'll count him. Uh, Matt says three. I say two, the guy with the umbrella and the squirrel. Says two. Keep in mind, it's the season premiere. There could be some, uh, resetting of, of the pieces. Now two. The squirrel and the umbrella guy. Okay. That is my exact prediction. Um. I, that's just what I'm hoping for, anyways. <laughs> yeah, squirrel. I'm guessing that mostly we're going to be dealing with where people are right now. I mean, once this starts again. Mm-hmm. I would have taken two, but that's already taken, so I'll take one, though that's a really bad number. I'm going to end up Did with you just take two? I don't, I don't see why you can't take two as well. You, you can, yeah. Okay, it's been I'll done before. Two, I'll take Do two. It. Go with your instinct. I don't think one of them is going to be a squirrel, though there might be an umbrella involved. Aww. Okay. Well... We'll see you in August for episode 13, A Lie Agreed Upon, part the first. Does Ina have anything to plug? Yes, does Ina have anything to plug? Is she alive still? Oh, um... You know, did, you, sli- did she fall asleep? Because I'm we know here. it's very late there, and <laughs> this is like a four-hour podcast. And, uh, and uh, we I apologize. <laughs> yeah, I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't have any, um, I don't have anything going. Uh, I have not been on many podcasts this uh, last year, so it's been kind of busy. We had our third child this a year, nearly a year ago. Oh, uh, but I can be found. I can be found in the Facebook group, posting Jim Beaver's comments from. Um, Alan Seppenwald's blog, and uh, you can find me on uh, places like Instagram and Snapchat and so on. Do you want to give away your handles or usernames? Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I am Ina SW. And she's been doing a great job posting those those comments from Jim Beaver. Yes. Thank you. All you other Facebook members out there should pay attention. Start posting stuff. <laughs> contribute. Follow Ina's shining example and contribute. Don't Do be that. a freeloader. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be a filthy lurker. <laughs> As usual, you can find us at hooplecast.com or search iTunes. Go on Twitter at hooplecast. 
Our feedback address is hooplecast at gmail.com. All right. See you in a month. All right. Bye. Fuck you. Bye. (laughs) Fuck (laughs) y'all. is in the uh, Skype if you want to read along. So who did we? Oh, jeez. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enter. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you're, already, you're already reading the headline. You're like, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes. God, it's that combination of words. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, it also, the difference between um, a soldier on foot and a soldier on a horse. Ow! I'm sorry. My cat. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna, you're, Carol, you're gonna have to eat that cat. Yeah, you're gonna have oh. cat. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry. My cat just jumped on my leg and put her claws in my knee accidentally. Oh. Cat took a bite out of it. <laughs> no, just, just. That cat's like, I want to be in the outtakes. Oh. <laughs> She she got me when she was leaving, and she got me when she was coming back. Sorry about that. Oh. Mel just showed me something. Speaking of bags of shit earlier. Yeah. Or putting shit in bags. There's a link. There's, there's a link. There's no pictures of it, but it's... This was a this was an, uh, something like a, a list that someone posted about, like, uh, stupid things that they put in women's magazines. This can be an outtake. This, yes, this, <laughs> okay. came out, this came out... This was one of the things that was posted... All right, well, read it to us since we're a podcast. Okay. The <laughs> title of it is, uh, Oh Shit. <laughs> okay. I had sex for the first time with a cute guy, and he let me sleep at his place while he went to work. <laughs> when I woke up, I had to go number two. But after I did, I realized that his toilet was broken and wouldn't flush. I didn't want him to see my poop. <laughs> so I scooped it out. I put it in a plastic bag that I found in the sink so that I could throw it outside. Okay, fuck this person. Before I left, I wrote him a note with my name and number saying thanks for a great night, put it on the kitchen counter, and left. But right when I closed the door, I realized that I'd forgotten the bag of poop on the counter. (laughs) I I was already locked out, so there was nothing I could do but have a panic attack. I obviously never heard from him again. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Brittany S. 23. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh, I want to say I heard that story on another podcast at some point. Because <laughs> that, I was like, oh yeah, she locked herself out. It's, it's still on the sink. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, but I can't believe she was like, yeah, I'll just throw it outside. What, what were you going to throw it in his yard? That's just as bad. Stop <laughs> <Like>, the window. <laughs> what is wrong with this person? This is the reason why people need to know how things work. All she had to do was take a bucket of water and... Yeah, I was going to say that. (laughs) You know, people need to learn these things in school so this stuff doesn't happen. (laughs) You need to teach toilet in school. (laughs) Toilet 101. Or she could have blamed it on someone else. She could have said, hey, it's Brittany. I just want to let you know that my neighbor's, your neighbor's kid left, locked himself out of the house and he really had to go to the bathroom. So I let him in to use the toilet, but then the toilet wouldn't flush. So that shit belongs to him. (laughs) (laughs) FYI. I like, I like blaming poop related things on somebody else. Like when somebody poops their pants, they're like, what the? Somebody put poop in my pants. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. Just Where like... were we? <laughs> Back to this excellent episode. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we were just up to the great cinematography and direction of that last scene that was so much like the one we talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah. Cutting from one person to another and oh, so and good. what was going on with each person. Oh, this is so good. And um, I love the music. 
swells up from the piano yeah. downstairs, I guess, is what's, yeah. what's playing a little waltz or something. So it's, it's diegetic music that the characters can hear as well. They're dancing to it, so yeah, I would think it's so. It's the piano, I think, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, gotta put that piano to use that, really we, that we paid for and was delivered. Piano. I really hate that I just told that story and now we're going to this wonderful scene. <laughs> <laughs> it's breaking my heart that I just said that. Because <laughs> this, this scene is so delightful. Oh, I just ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what editing is for. <laughs> Yeah, they love to make me do editing. <laughs> See, what she did was she, she gave us an outtake. Then we started getting back into the episode. Now she's <laughs> referenced the outtake. an outtake that's going to happen later in the edit. <laughs> so what are, I'm going to have to take this part and add it to that outtake <laughs> in order to keep the flow of the rest of the episode going. Mel. She's really, she really fucked me up. She really gave me bags of shit to hold. <laughs> <laughs> so the the thing to do is to start over from the top. <laughs> I, I I left you a note at least, Matt. Thanks for podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a bag of shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, from the top. Sorry. <laughs> This is a beautiful scene. It is beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Ding, ding. Boner check. Ding, ding, ding. Ew. <laughs> <laughs>